0: Kaiju Network Podcast, where where we have a very healthy obsession with kaiju. I'm your co-host, Kenton Jason. You're a straight talker. But be careful, it could ruin your love life. I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm from not mind, really that's from the movie we are <laughs> going to discuss here in a little bit. Godzilla versus Destroyer. So here we are. This is our first um, sort of, I guess, actual quote-unquote podcast uh, for the last couple of months since we've been doing quite a few commentaries lately. And... Um, so we're, we're continuing to go through our uh, sort of re-reviews of uh, g- uh, the movies from Gojira all the way up to Godzilla 2000. So we're just about there. Uh, this is the second to last one we have to do in, yeah. the, in that re-review. It's
1: hard to believe we're almost at the very end of doing these. And then after that, we don't even know what we're going to be doing. <laughs> Well,
0: I have some ideas. Uh, we got a whole list of ideas, quite frankly, Jason, that we could do. It's yeah, just of course. Of where exactly do we want to go? Um, so I guess let's just go ahead and kind of dive right into some of the news. Um, uh, first of all, uh, Ultra Q and Ultraman have been released onto Blu ray recently. And then also, of uh, Unfortunately for those who are listening to the audio podcast you're not going to get to see this but if you are listening to the audio just go over to the YouTube page and, and you can watch it but we will also be discussing and this is out already too the Holy Criterion shit. Showa Godzilla collection that is, uh, is out on Blu-ray
1: that is so much bigger than i thought i thought it was going to be the like the
0: regular size Blu-ray case. I, thought, I didn't really think no, it to be like a big i knew book it was going to be a book but i thought it would be like half that size but yeah this is like a coffee table book it's hardback too um so we're going to be discussing that here in a moment. And then this Tuesday, Ultraman Orb and Geed will be coming out on the Blu-ray too, both the movie versions uh, along with the series. So with the Orb, uh, that set includes both the series and the movie. Same thing with Geed. So hmm. you have those uh, to look forward to this upcoming Tuesday. Hopefully this podcast will be out yeah. uh, by that point. Yeah,
1: Sadly, um, I have not even... Bought the first two uh, Ultraman DVD or Blu-rays yet?
0: Well, here's the thing with me, because um, when when those were mentioned, including like this, and I'll get to all this here in a moment or so um with the Ultraman ones especially the first two i wasn't planning on getting because number one i have the ultra q one what was it by milk creek or whoever it was uh, it, it, a number I of think, years back yeah i think it was uh shout factory that yeah had those
1: from ultra q the regular Ultraman, and as well as uh, ultra seven that that's what they done until the uh Uh, was that Mill Creek Entertainment bought or licensed the entire
0: library to the whole uh, Ultra franchise. Yeah, and I like my Ultra Q copy. Sure, it's not an HD, but I will also here's the thing, and this will also kind of tie in a little bit with the Criterion Collection too. Uh, With a lot of the the current Blu-ray renditions of some of these shows and films, um, my understanding is that they use a particular method called telecine, which is isn't the highest-end method of converting pre-existing film and shows into Blu-ray because it creates this grain. Mm-hmm. Like, when you and I a couple of years ago discussed the Rocky series, I remember one of them. I think it was Rocky Two. I was telling you there was a lot of grain on that.
1: Yeah, and it that, goes with it the same.
0: Use that method.
1: It goes with the same for some of the, uh, the Heisei Godzilla of Uh, movies that I also have um, on Blu-ray and then watching them on the 4K TV. uh, You can still see a lot of the grain graininess to it, but at least it serves
0: uh, what the movies are to be shown. And yeah, and the I like. mean, there are pros and cons to it. Uh, I might as well right. just talk briefly about it. Like, the tele method is a quicker way to convert a pre-existing film into HD. The problem with that, though, is that because it is a quicker way, it's not able to fully like clean, quote-unquote, each frame or each section of film. So in certain spots you will get kind mm-hmm. of a grain or a snowy look to them, mm-hmm. and that's the downfall really the it's still hd but it's not the best quality of hd uh what it will do just as well as doing a more methodical method is that it will at least make your colors richer but as far as film quality it begins to get hit and miss with Mm. that method right and unfortunately and, you know, this is one of the issues with the Criterion set. But uh, again, I'll talk about that, uh, I think, here in just uh, in just a moment. But with the Ultraman sets, like, uh, I, the only one I've really thought about getting, at least the, uh, out of the two that's been released, is the original Ultraman, mm-hmm. just because I love that one an awful lot. Uh, the thing is, though, it doesn't come with the English dub track. And the only reason why i thought about getting it is just for richer color presentation. Um but then I'm like, you know, even the DVD one, the DVD collection I got from Mill Creek here. It was like actually years. pretty good. It actually, yeah, was really good. The only complaint I have about that set is that the English audio at times is a little muffled. Like it's not the highest of quality and they use a cheaper method to record that dub back and in then, the
1: day. And then at times uh, there were some of the English dub tracks that were missing. So then they replaced it with uh, some of the original <laughs>
0: Yeah, Uh, language
1: in there as well and then
0: so on and so forth and you're still getting the full episodes anyways in that sense Mm -hmm. so right i just am like i'm not i'm gonna wait until after ultra seven because again right there i got a nice ultra seven set that i got like three or four years ago as well yeah same here so i'm just like i'm gonna wait um You know, until after that, I'm only going to go up to I think Ultraman 80 because I like the older stuff more than the newer stuff. Um, But um, I'm just going to wait until I would at least still check out some of the newer stuff. I think
1: a lot of that is pretty darn good for what they are. But and and they're at least. Uh, still sticking true with the uh, original franchise, but of course there's newer elements and storylines, plots, right, and everything. Yeah. But like the like, they'll still have some of the original people that have been in the uh, some of the original uh, shows back in the Showa days. They'll still have them in there from time to time because I've seen uh, Hirata come in and some of the other uh, original uh, command uh, HQ people and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, and technically I already own... Uh, Every show up to Ultraman 80, I got them uh, from a vendor at G-Fest over the last couple of years. Um, I've only checked out Leo, and the presentation of those so far from what I've seen uh, has been pretty good. I don't know about the other ones because I have yet to check those out. Um, But I'm thinking about after 7, get the ones all the way up at least to 80 for sure. That way I have something that's official and I know for sure the presentation is going to be of high quality.
1: Yeah, and I've at least watched all of Ultraman Leo that one was pretty good and then as well as uh, Ultraman 80 that one was uh, pretty good in it's own right because I was at uh, Crunchyroll they've uh, licensed uh, quite a bit of the uh, uh, the Ultraman series including Leo uh, 80 and then uh, Mabius and, and I think Nexus they also licensed that until they've license all the way up to uh geed and they haven't uh brought in was it RB and I'm not even sure if they have another one after that. I'm not entirely sure if they've uh made any announcements of a new series coming in.
0: hmm Yeah. And so those are coming out uh, for anybody who uh Orb and Geed are coming out this Tuesday and Q and the original Ultraman are already out. So um, you can purchase those and you have the other two to look forward to this upcoming Tuesday. Uh, unless you have any other news, I was thinking about going ahead and diving into the Criterion Collection.
1: Yeah, there was a little thing that I just saw Friday night. And um, I've only seen the second part to this. It's it's like, uh, like a little... A uh, fan-made movie or animation that was uh, recently made, uh, and it's called. It's it's like using uh, sprites like from video games, like the two D pixel uh, animation rips. And this person uses like some of the Mario characters, and then as well as Godzilla. And this uh, little animation that they made was. Uh, Called Godzilla versus Koopazilla. <laughs> and it's where uh, like the premise is where Bowser had a dream of like some some sort of prophecy where he confronts and fights uh, apparently like uh, a monster called Gigantus, and it's using the uh, the 1955 uh, look of Godzilla. And everything, but then they use the '90s version of Godzilla in this, and uh, Bowser confronts Godzilla and uh, tries to battle him, and everything. It's it's a pretty entertaining, uh, like, little fan made movie on YouTube. There's two parts, and each each of these two parts are about an hour and a half long. I would suggest uh, checking these uh out whenever you had the chance there they are pretty good there's not really dialogue they have like little subtitle like little things there they'll make like little voice uh recognition here and there but it's not like full-on like dialogue or anything of the sort so um like i said when you whenever you had the chance i would suggest checking out uh godzilla versus koopzilla <laughs> Mm-hmm. on youtube it does sound like it'd be pretty uh, pretty fun it is I think it's actually pretty entertaining with the story and everything that they've come up with for this and from from the looks of it they might do more in the future
0: awesome alright um, are we ready to dive into the Criterion Collection um, Criterion
1: Collection you mean uh, Godzilla vs. Destroyer? Nope, the Criterion Collection. Well, I don't discuss this. Well, for me, I don't even have the Criterion
0: Collection. Well, I know, but I'm just wondering (laughs) if you if there was any other news you were going to present. I really don't have anything of the sort as far as news. So then I'm going to go ahead and talk about this. Uh, First of all, uh, anybody who's listening to the audio version of this and you want to look at some of the. If you want to look at the the actual just set itself, and maybe some of the pictures I'm going to show here uh, over the next few moments, um, the best thing to do would be to go to our YouTube channel and fast forward up to this point in the podcast, so you can see uh, what it is I'm displaying. Um, so, to start out with, this is its size. <laughs> um, <You> know just <laughs> and and to
1: uh, butt in for a little bit, I thought. You know, when I was seeing the pictures and everything, the way I thought, I thought it was going to be just a regular size Blu-ray, maybe like a special edition type of uh, collection there. I didn't think it was going to be
0: an actual size or maybe like an extra large (laughs) coffee book table right there. I knew it was going to be a book and I knew it was going to be decent size. I didn't think it was going to be this size. I thought it was yeah. going to be like half this. Uh, but at the same time, I think it sort of makes sense considering there's artwork uh, in here. So like here's just like a preview of just one damn page. So like it displays the artwork. And I guess, too, you can read the writing a little bit better, too, with it being this size all I can um, just see is yellow blocks that's about it <laughs> well I know uh, I know but this is kind of hard to hold um, with like one hand especially um, it's interesting because <laughs> the Godzilla fandom is blowing up over this thing
1: and, yeah, and I'm not entirely the reasons like blah 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 what, what's, what's really the deal all, about
0: it first of all, I'm going to play the centrist here and that usually doesn't happen. Usually I pick sides, but this time I'm going to be the centrist. Um, when it comes to an issue in the Godzilla fandom, um, first of all, there's a side that's, uh, kind of really cr- heavily criticizing this for whatever reason. Some people are complaining it's too expensive. Some people are saying there are no dubs. Some people are complaining, um, you know about lack of materials or whatever supplements or what have you then you have another side of the spectrum which is saying uh you know you're getting a you know a brightly colored book you're getting HD resolutions you're finally getting official release of King Kong versus Godzilla etc cetera, etc cetera. so i'm going to be in the middle uh on this because i think there are pros and cons to this um, the Godzilla fan who just needs to relax and just try to <laughs> uh, and then
1: and then the one the one thing I would like to add into this is that uh the one of the things with it being expensive for the way it is, I think they're uh, with criterion, they're actually counting in uh the like the amount per movie, which adds up to the amount it is uh, for what it is because I think what from what maybe what you've mentioned or or from what I've seen, I think on average is maybe around eight to nine bucks per movie in this collection. Um, more than that technically and then and then the, the other thing when it comes to the criterion collection they necessarily ha- have not done anything like bringing in dubs or anything because i have uh quite a few of the criterion collections as far as uh what's that uh yojimbo uh san judo uh high and low all these other kinds of uh classic Japanese films and tech and for many of them, I I don't think I've really have seen a um, like a dub version. They've usually have gone with the original language along with the subtitles for a lot of these classic films. So for me, it's really not a surprise with what criterion has approached Uh, all these show of films for the Godzilla
0: franchise. Well, and there are actually some dubs on here, uh, including the universal Americanization of King Kong versus Godzilla. Right. Um, I was going to say this till a little bit later, but I might as well talk about it now because we were talking about price. Um, This thing right now, at least on Amazon, is going for $112.46. I think even though I already own all these films, including a Japanese version of King Kong versus Godzilla. Um, considering the fact you get the first 15 films, and you get uh, a supplement disc with some um, uh, uh, you know, documentaries and a few other things on it, you also get um, whoops, that's towards the very end, I think. <laughs> Wait a minute, what is this? I don't know if I've seen... Oh, that's different. I didn't notice that before. Um... <laughs> Uh, but like you get, you get like a little bit of information written by Ed um you know, about each film. And then Steve Rifle has like a three page introduction um, towards the beginning of the book um, as well. Kind of talking about, you know, the start of the, the Showa era and everything. So. For one hundred twelve dollars, I think that's really good for fifteen films. It's a really good deal, I would and you say. and you get uh, you now you technically get sixteen films if you count the American version of King Kong versus Godzilla and the Japanese version separately. Uh, so, considering all that, I think it's actually from a price standpoint is good. However. Uh, first of all, do not buy this off of people from eBay. Uh, yeah. I have seen the average price on there go for between 269 270 bucks. That to me is way too expensive for something like this. And, and two, um,
1: it's just sort of a ripoff. And then plus they
0: get a lot of profit it, off of that too. You know, I, and yeah, and I've even seen some people who bought this from a brick and mortar store where the price they had a price sticker on it and i saw one person they bought it from a store and the price on that was 225 dollars. and even that i thought was too much and i would even say look if you are a brand new fan or you're a fan who missed out on some of these films uh when classic media brought them out in the mid 2000s that's still in my opinion um way too much to spend on something like this uh even though it's a real nice set uh i still think that's way too expensive uh yeah so i would consider definitely
1: um, suggest looking into getting it on amazon or yeah, possibly sure. wait until maybe black friday if you're one of those type of shoppers uh it should at least maybe be on a good decent uh retail price maybe a certain amount of off on the deal if <laughs> it's- if one of these uh, retail stores plan on uh reducing the price for the limited amount of time for black friday or the thanksgiving weekend mm-hmm.
0: all right so i'm gonna dive a little bit into this um as i said this book is massive um also, like I showed you earlier, uh, each film has a little, uh, not really a little blurb, but some information uh, about it written by Ed Godziszewski, uh, along with some of the uh, casting credits um, uh, for each film. Each film has a different artist who was commissioned to do some art. So this one was done by Arthur Adams for King Kong vs. Godzilla. Um Oops, we already saw that one. Well, let's show something different here. Um, this one here. This one was done by Mona Robot for Ghidra, the three-headed monster. Um, also, this set comes with eight discs. Here they are. And the eighth disc is the supplemental disc, and that's the disc that also has the Japanese version of I really really like, Godzilla.
1: I really like the presentation and how they've... Uh, Made for Technically
0: there are 17 films in this set because I forgot that there's a king the, the Godzilla King of the Monsters uh version in this as well. Um so um also on the supplemental disc are some extras like an interview with Ishiro Honda by Yoshimitsubano in nineteen ninety, a special effects documentary that shows some unused footage from Destroy all Monsters. There are trailers, um there's also, for example, an interview with critic Taro Sato from 2011. Uh, there are also interviews with other cast and crew members, such as Bin Furuya, Sugosh Sugotoshi, Komada Haru, Nakajima, and Akira Takarada, a po- composer Akira Fukube. Um, I mean, there's there's some decent extras on that supplemental disc. Um, the disc as far as being able to get them out or actually a little difficult to get out. Yeah. Um, just the way it looks. It's like, it seems to be you gotta, little sleeves. Yeah. There. You gotta kind of like dig your fingers off the edge and then slide them out that way. Um, so, it's a little difficult to get those out. It's it's not terrible, but it's a little tough. Uh, the artwork and presentation of this thing, obviously, is beautiful. Like, I think every artist yeah. did a wonderful job. Like, here's uh, what artist Sophie Campbell did for Destroy All Monsters. This one, even though this isn't my favorite uh, of the Showa era, I really like this one, I think, the most um, out mm. of this particular. Um, set here so there's like the godzilla versus hedora i think this might be the most uh, detailed out of all uh within the set perhaps who did that one there this one was done by jeff darrow okay so yeah, there's there's that um they're international dubs of invasion of Astromus invasion of astro monster son of godzilla destroy all monsters godzilla versus megalon godzilla versus mechagodzilla and terror mechagodzilla so there are a few dubs on here and as well like i said just a moment ago there is godzilla king of the monsters the american uh, edition on here and then there's also the american version of king kong versus godzilla as well, so you have a handful of films with an English dub on them, which I thought was strange. And for those who got angry at this set for not containing the English dubs, first of all, that's not entirely true because I just stated films that have dubs on here in this set. Second of all, uh, I thought it was mentioned pretty early on that no dubs were going to be on this set, and I was actually surprised there were dubs on here because I thought they said no, these were just straight up Japanese editions or cuts Mm -hmm. of the films. So that actually was a pleasant surprise to me to find out that at least some of them, uh, there were dubs available. Um, so yeah, like there are some films on here with dubs and, (laughs) you know, second of all, like I said, when this set was announced pretty early on, it should be no surprise that you shouldn't have expected dubs with this, uh, in the first place. So, Mm -hmm. um, As far as the high definition quality, uh, we were kind of talking about this a little bit ago with some of the Ultraman stuff. The HD quality is not as good as some claim it to be. Uh, In fact, I couldn't tell a big difference uh, between some of these movies and a few of my uh, DVD releases, such as Invasion of Astro Monster or even Mothra vs. Godzilla from classic media. Uh, Even the difference between uh, this version of Godzilla vs. Gigan And my Sony DVD version of this from like the mid 2000s, with the exception of a couple of moments uh, in terms of maybe the color being a little bit richer, there still wasn't that big of a difference. And... Yeah, that really was the big thing, and like I mentioned earlier, some of the picture quality with these, the uh, the Criterion Collection, had grain on it due to the HD processing. And again, uh, just to kind of reiterate, they used a process called telescene, which isn't the hot, which isn't the best method to do HD uh, because it's just a faster process. Whereas with 4K and other methods, they do it frame by frame. This kind of does everything all at once. So it's just a faster method to convert film into hd quality and toho unfortunately didn't want a higher hd resolution with this set uh because they are currently working on releasing 4k versions of these movies in japan and they didn't want this set competing uh with what they're gonna do uh with their 4k editions which i think is a dick move on toho um Because that's that's really not a shocker. It's not, but this it's so stupid because first of all, this is region A. These will only work over here, anyways. Well and what they have will only work with their players. Well, Uh, not not
1: only here, but in Japan as well, because uh was it region A for Blu-ray works for both Japan and here in America. I guess that's true, and this is region A.
0: Yeah. So but Toho. Um, (laughs) uh, Another drawback I have about this set is that the subtitles are in white, which I think in some cases makes for difficult reading. Um, I remember, what was it, last year or something, when uh, I bought the Criterion version of Gojira. Well, do
1: do they at least have like black stroke around the
0: text or anything? Not really. Really? Uh, Not really. Hmm. Uh, It's very thin, black, so it's still hard to read in some cases, depending upon what's being shown on the screen. Um, But, like i remember when i bought the criterion gojiro one here like a year or so ago and i remember talking about it on this podcast and i said that in my opinion was the biggest drawback to that release was that it was incredibly difficult to read the subtitles for that version but i've kept it because there were certain extras involved with that that i wanted to have so uh the subtitles is kind of my biggest complaint with the presentation outside of the occasional grain with some of the pictures. Um, the biggest selling point, I think, for a lot of people, uh, even for longtime fans, is going to be that this has the first official uh, release here in the U.S. of the Japanese cut of King Kong versus Godzilla. And so for me, I already owned a copy of this film. And I, uh, and I briefly- think I might have that, too, with the one – version that you gave me Mm -hmm. yeah and i um briefly compared the picture quality at least of the two films the one from this and my uh dvd and again similar to like with invasion of astro monster i talked about earlier um i couldn't tell a huge difference in picture quality so and so kind of my final thoughts on this set is it worth it? And would I recommend buying it? So I'm actually going to read my final thoughts here. First off, for someone like myself, who's been a Godzilla fan for nearly 30 years and was able to purchase some of the earlier DVD releases of these films in the mid and late 2000s, this set really isn't worth it. That's not to say I hate it. On the contrary, I love it, but I had a hard time justifying double, even triple dipping on some of these movies. As I stated earlier, I already owned a copy of the Japanese cut of King Kong vs. Godzilla, so personally, that wouldn't be a selling point for me personally. The artwork is beautiful and, but I really can live without it. I love the artwork. That's not to say it's crappy. In fact, it's, it is gorgeous. Like I've been seeing earlier. Um, and let me show you another one of my favorite pieces of artwork in here. I like this I would, one. It's simple, but I like it. This is Godzilla reads and again. And then for me, if I
1: think I probably will end up getting, uh, this, Uh, set. I would say at least a selling point for me because I don't have uh, I would say at least a few of the other uh, show of movies including uh, Son of Godzilla and I think uh, maybe Terror America Godzilla and I forget which other one that I don't have in my collection Mm -hmm. of show of films, but I would at least for the selling point for me, it would at least be some of the movies I do not have, which they uh, – which some of these other distributing companies no longer uh, sell anymore simply because they either have gone out of business or have been bought out by another company and just – or like mm-hmm. a license for that film is – you know, has long since been expired.
0: Uh, so that would be my only selling point to get in yeah. this set. So I'm going to continue with my final thoughts here. Uh, so I was saying the artwork is beautiful, but I personally can live without it. The information on each movie, while great as information I can get from reading a couple of books on the Godzilla franchise I already own, such as Steve Rifles' Japan's Favorite Monster and David Callet's The Critical, uh, a critical. Um, critique and filmography of Godzilla. What, that, that's not the actual title, but anyways. Um, the subtitles are tough to read at times as well, and I'm curious as to why they didn't use a color like yellow to make it easier to read the subtitles. That part is incredibly frustrating. So it comes down to HD resolution, the supplements, and having all the Japanese version of the Showa era films. As for the HD resolution, I couldn't tell a major difference between this and some of my previous DVD and Blu-rays of some of these films. There's grain on some of the picture, which can be distracting. The supplements are decent. The interview with Honda is enlightening and the effects documentary is interesting, but not something I'll visit often. As far as having all the Japanese version of the Showa era, I'm happy to have them, but my set was more than half complete already. Again, That's not to say I dislike having all 15 of these films in their original format. It's just that by and large, we got those and many uh, from many of the initial DVD releases over the last 15 years. So for long-time fans, this set may not be worth it unless you need the Japanese cut of King Kong vs. Godzilla and or a completist. As for fans who may be new or missed out on many of the DVD releases of these films in recent years, then yes, I would recommend buying this set. Be aware, though, that there are only a few dubbed versions of these films, those films I mentioned earlier in this discussion. Overall, it's a set I highly recommend to new fans and fans who missed out on purchasing some of these films within the last decade and a half. Otherwise, for longtime fans like myself, it comes down to whether you want or already have the Japanese cut of King Kong versus Godzilla, you want some of the supplements, and if you are a completist. Awesome. So those are my thoughts on the Criterion Collection. Again, I think for longtime fans... Um, like I said, unless you need a Japanese cut of King Kong versus Godzilla or are a completist, um, I find it hard to justify uh, purchasing it. But even then, um, like I said, if you buy it on Amazon for 112 bucks, I think that's actually a pretty good price considering you're getting technically 17 films and uh, some decent supplements. The supplements I was more disappointed in. I didn't think many of them were – exceptional some of them are really good like the honda interview but otherwise some of the stuff i thought was okay or decent the trailers were kind of nice but again you can find those almost anywhere so all right with that Let's move on to Godzilla vs. Destroya. <laughs> this is the 22nd Godzilla movie in the franchise, and it was released December 9th, 1995, produced by Shogo Tomiyama, written by Kazuki Amori, special effects by Koichi Kawakita, music by Akira Ifukube, and directed by Tako Akawara. It stars Megumi Odaka, Yasufumi Hayashi, Takuro Tatsumi, Saburo Shinoda, and Yoko Ishino. It's hard to believe
1: that this film has been out for nearly 25 years, uh, coming up next year. I know it's,
0: um, yeah, it's just crazy. And and when it it
1: flies, yeah. And when it, came here to the United States, it was already at least a few years old, because I think, was it, it came out, uh, was it around... Early 99, I
0: think. 98, or 99, one of those years there. It was early 99, I remember, because 98, you had that influx of VHSs like Destroyah Monster, Son of Godzilla, Godzilla 1985, Terramack, Godzilla Invasion of Astro Monster, etc. And it wasn't until, like, very early 99 when you saw... Space, Godzilla, and Destroya come in. And then early 2000 came Godzilla versus Godzilla 2, which I remember I was like, that was an odd one. She just all of a sudden, like, yeah, show up. It was really weird how that worked out. But yeah, because I remember
1: 98 when we uh, vacationed here in Minneapolis uh, with when it was just you and the pair, me and the parents. Uh, I remember us getting a bunch of like Godzilla figures, especially with the 98 version of Godzilla, the American version. And then I also remember us getting quite a few VHS's over at the Mall of America. And I uh, remember getting uh, Godzilla versus King Ghidorah, the, this one here that I'm wearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, I, I just remember us just binging on anything godzilla during that year
0: that's basically for all like the last bought, yeah yeah was godzilla yeah, for like stuff. the next couple of years yeah so uh as always what we do i'm gonna do a plot overview of the film So, Bass Island is destroyed by an underground volcano. Godzilla's gone uber-nuclear, and scientists at G-Force believe the eruption may have influenced his state. Godzilla's son is nowhere to be found and is presumed dead. Ken Yamane, grandson of Dr. Yamane, believes Godzilla will soon explode, destroying the Earth with him. He advises the self-defense force not to engage Godzilla with traditional weaponry, as this could trigger the explosion. Microcrustacea infiltrate an aquarium, dissolving all the marine life they come in contact. With, Doctor, Edjwan, Edjwan, edwin whichever. Um, I'm gonna call him the guy. I'll call him Doctor Edge. I'm just that's <laughs> what I'm gonna call him for the rest of the, of the podcast, Doctor Edge. The one finds- with the glasses. No, uh, the actual scientist that's messing with micro-oxygen. Dr. Edge finds (laughs) that the crustacea originated near the area where the oxygen destroyer was dropped and activated in Tokyo Bay. He realizes the crustacea were formed using a similar formula his current micro-oxygen project uses. Uh, in the eastern industrial district of Tokyo, larger destroyer aggregates appear and create havoc. The police are sent in with military-grade weaponry but are sadly defeated. Yukari Yamane, granddaughter of Dr. Yamane and sister of Ken Yamane, who's covering the event for her news station, barely makes it out with her life. Godzilla has a nuclear power plant in his sights, but the Self Defense Force sends in the Super X 3. The mech is loaded with freezer weapons and cadmium missiles with non explosive heads. The Super X 3 is able to successfully freeze Godzilla and to slow his rising temperature. It even drastically slows his nuclear fission. However, a number of hours later, his temperature dramatically spikes, and Kenyamani now believes Godzilla will experience a meltdown when his body reaches 1200 degrees. Godzilla's son is finally located in the eruption of Bass Island increased his growth, making him Godzilla Jr., Scientists realize Godzilla has been following his son to the Bering Sea, but due to his rising temperature, he will not make it. The destroyer aggregates combine themselves into a larger destroyer. It wreaks havoc in Tokyo until Godzilla Junior shows up and battles it. Destroyer pins Junior and inserts micro oxygen inside him. Junior then blasts his beam at Destroyer, knocking it backwards and momentarily defeating it. Godzilla reunites with Junior, but the reunion is short lived the Destroyer re emerges bigger and more powerful. <clears throat> Destroyer grabs Junior and releases him from from such a height that the fall kills Junior, enraged Godzilla engages with Destroya. The two kaiju trade blows until the Self Defense Force uses its freezer mazers and Super X three to kill Destroya. Godzilla's body temperature reaches twelve hundred degrees and begins to melt down. With the help of the mazers and Super X three, Godzilla isn't able to destroy the world as he melts down. Godzilla's final moments create a teary response from Mickey and several other onlookers. The immense radioactivity that Godzilla's meltdown. On Unleashed surprisingly is disappearing at a rapid rate through the haze of the meltdown godzilla jr emerges revived as a fully grown godzilla roaring as the screen fades to black and credits roll so um i want to quickly just start off and i forgot to do it for this um this film, at least here by some uh, Americans that went to go see this film in Japanese theaters uh, back in 95, many uh, American Uh, fans did not seem to care much for this film at the time. Anyways, I don't know if some of their opinions have changed with time or what, but uh, I have a G fan and it's got numerous letters from people who went to go see this in Japan, including some people who are very prominent uh, in the Godzilla fan community, at least here in the Western hemisphere. And I remember one individual particular whose name I'm not going to mention really lambasted this film. And I don't know if his, views on this film have changed over time or not i mean the only one way to know is to ask him but he was pretty critical of the film um years past i've always viewed godzilla versus destroyer as one of the not just one of the better films in the Heisei era, but also one of the better films in the entire franchise. Um, I would, I would
1: at least say the same thing too. After watching the film over the years and <laughs> up until watching it just this morning here before our show, and yeah, I think I think the film itself just gets better and better, even with uh, seeing it for the very first time. Uh, just about a couple decades ago, I thought it was a really good film.
0: Yeah. um, I hate to do this. I keep making this mistake on this podcast, but I kind of accidentally show my hand a little bit, if not entirely early. I think both of (laughs) us. Well, like I said, in years past, I always thought this was one of the the top films in the franchise. Um, With not only time having passed, but also the fact we got, more Godzilla movies out now uh since you know 95 and the early 2000s um my uh, opinion sort of on some level changed a little bit but then when I watched this here the other day I'm like wow like why have I been sort of not really avoiding but haven't watched this as often As I should, because I really got engaged with the film. I don't think it's by any means a perfect film. In fact, as we go along in this discussion, I think this film uh, could have done uh, either certain things better or missed out on certain opportunities uh, to really, again, make it better. Uh, I'm disappointed Mm -hmm. in a few areas of this film as well, and again, we'll kind of go. uh, We'll we'll talk about this as we go along. Yeah,
1: yeah. There's at least a few things from what I've seen uh, recently that I just
0: finally have noticed after many years of watching. I know it's strange. Well, and like we do on this podcast, you know, we're huge fans. We love all of these movies. Shin Godzilla kind of being an exception, Um, but yeah. um, uh but we try to look at them with a more critical eye to try to be objective. And it's kind of tough to do. I don't think anybody's fully objective just because you're always going to come into something, no matter how hard you try with some bit of bias uh, and any baggage, good or bad that you have with a film or a book or whatever it is you're talking about. So, um, So, yeah, uh, let's just kind of get right into some of the discussion uh, again. I think the opening to this movie, even though it's not the first thing you see, uh, the opening with Godzilla attacking Hong Kong, I still think um, is really one of the greatest moments in the history of this franchise. It is um, some. And, First of and, all, a little nitpick, and uh, and and this is a good thing that you at least brought this up because there's
1: at least a couple of shots uh, within this uh, entire Hong Kong scene that I just finally realized, and I don't know if you're this is this is the thing that you were going to be bringing up, is that uh, when they have Godzilla rampaging on through the background of Hong Kong in the lower part, foreground like in the foreground, you That's what see, I was gonna bring up. Yeah, you see people actually walking along the sidewalks just minding their own business or buses going towards Godzilla. Yeah, and you would think that uh, Toho, when they were filming these scenes or if if they use stock footage, whatever uh, sort of method that they uh, went about with this scene, that you would at least have thought, they would have closed uh, these roads that they were filming and, and maybe not have anybody there present or just like some people driving cars, like uh, speeding others or maybe have some uh, extra casts uh, for like the running scenes like they've usually have done for the Godzilla films <sighs> But they didn't do that for, for, the, yeah, uh, for the whole I mean, Hong Kong scenes or anything.
0: I mean, side. part of it may have depended on when they went to Hong Kong and like getting permission to film there. Where some It looked like these were very populated areas and maybe they couldn't close them down even for a few hours, perhaps. But, yeah, I mean, I've always noticed them. But, yeah, I mean, I'm again, like I said, I try to watch them with a little bit more of a closer eye when we discuss them for the <laughs> podcast. Um uh, And yeah, I mean, I noticed it. I'm just like, that's kind of funny. That bus is going towards Godzilla. They're going to get smashed or something like that. Like, yeah, it's, but then the funny thing is in some of those other scenes, uh, they have people running. So Mm -hmm. they orchestrated some panic in some shots, but in other areas, they just filmed it as is. Well, I think, and then too, with some of those, when they were
1: panicking and then running off, you can at least see some of that blue screen outline
0: in some of those. I noticed that it's not a big deal. Uh, I watched the the Blu-ray version of this. um, Yeah. And I don't remember. So that's part of it, because like when we were discussing Return of Godzilla, I was saying there was one moment in that movie where I didn't realize it was a matted background because on the DVD version, you don't notice that. And I think with the DVD version of this film as well, I never noticed that. But Yeah. And then uh, one of the
1: other things, too, and I'm not even sure if they even had the time to do it or just didn't even think about it when – uh, when they were in the editing phase of the film, was that uh, when Godzilla was walking away from the uh, like the main part of Hong Kong, there with Hong Kong in the background, then Godzilla in the foreground, and you can see some of the smoke. It's just a little bit of details, a little bit of nitpicks. Is that it seemed like they didn't really do a full on cutout with, or at least have used a uh, blue screen for it where like when smoke goes open, like ov- overlaying the buildings you don't even see the building at all it just seems like they just cut around where the smoke was uh, oh. you know floating around and all the, the such so it's just a little bit of nitpick that I've just seen when watching like the blu-ray version yeah. of the film and then it didn't seem like uh when Godzilla was walking by with some of the, one of the uh famous buildings in Hong Kong it just seemed like like it just appeared out of nowhere or gradually appeared and it seemed like with some of the cutouts and the such that I just really noticed with the map background or whatever was going on it just
0: seemed like it just suddenly appeared <laughs> when yeah, guys so coming mean, towards it I will say you're picking a lot of nits here um, yeah I mean, this, it's just one of the things I just noticed so <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, you aren't wrong. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, yeah, you're picking nits. uh, But at the same time, I think I I don't know a a ton as far as like budget and stuff. I'm sure part of it was budget. I also think part of it is just technical limitations that they had at the time as well. I think for what they were trying to do, they did a pretty good job. Uh, Yeah, not nonetheless. Yeah, it's it's
1: the film was good really good as as is, but it's just, you know, after watching this film for over the years and then with us, like what you mentioned earlier, or not long ago, that uh, when we review these films, we have more keen to trying to at least find We're watching
0: them more carefully.
1: Yeah. Seeing them more carefully and at least sort of discovering things that we've never seen before, even after watching these
0: films for after two decades or more. Yeah. One thing, too, I thought was really funny, especially given today's culture. Uh, And I've I've known this line existed in the film. I just never really thought about it. But when they're talking about Godzilla's condition there at G4 shortly after the Hong Kong attack, they talk to an American scientist about uh, Godzilla's condition and he holds up a three and a half inch disc and he goes... I found a thesis by a college student over the internet. It's an accurate portrayal about an interesting, uh, uh, interesting thing about Godzilla. And I had to laugh at that because first of all, uh, he just said like 30 seconds earlier, they didn't exactly know what was going on with Godzilla, but they had a theory and they said that this paper was accurate. So I'm like, wait a minute. How do you know if it's accurate? If you yourself aren't sure what's going on. But the biggest thing I thought was funny was that they got it off the internet and they said, hey, it's factual. (laughs) I just thought that was the funny part. I'm like, you can't do that today. (laughs) Well, make sure things go through gatekeeping to make sure everything's presented. Well, I wouldn't necessarily sort of go about that. But then
1: the other thing I would like to point out is that even though they say it's factual, (laughs) But then they, at first they say that they didn't know anything of what's going on. But then, but then yet they say, but then yet they say that it's factual. Then it's like what's going
0: on if it's factual then that means you technically don't need that information because you already knew it then then you so should be interesting then you should have had
1: information to begin with instead of saying that we don't even have anything what's going on with godzilla
0: <laughs> i mean for those who are listening to the audio version i'm just holding up my hands and shrugging like i i have no answer for that other than that's <laughs> We should take a screenshot of that, but <laughs> like that's there's something wrong with how that dialogue was written. And there, there's just like just some stuff yeah. that wasn't <laughs> that dots were not being connected as they wrote that particular scene. But yeah. I, I will I will damn that section of dialogue more so than I will any of the effect sequences in that Hong Kong yeah, <laughs> destruction. I would say to myself, "Who, whoever was the
1: writer for the film? I don't even know Kazuki Omori." Okay, so then
0: they probably don't even realize what was going on. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I would lay off of him until you see the jet, the jet, the subtitles. I have not done that, so I don't know. I I haven't either. So because yeah. I have noticed with some of these Godzilla films. The dub can sometimes be drastically different than what's the sub. Maybe what I should Because rephrase, maybe it makes sense in the in the subtitle. Maybe I don't what know. I should
1: rephrase whoever's the writer for the dub version.
0: At least that, yeah. Yeah. Again, I shrug and put up my hands. I I don't know what to say about that other than whoever did it, whether it was indeed Mori's fault, which I don't know because I have not watched this with subs, or if it was the dubbers, which very well could be the case because as we found out with dubbing over the years, they sometimes either try to match lip movement or sometimes when it comes to uh, trying to translate between Japanese and English, sometimes there aren't suitable words for one or the other. So... But I know with this film, the
1: guy that was speaking there, he was actually talking in English. But I don't know if that was like his actual
0: voice. No, or it's, if he's dubbed. That. He's oh. dubbed. Oh, yeah. He's dubbed because um, that same voice is used throughout many of those Heisei films. I okay. mean, it's dubbed. I guarantee you. I will. I will bet you a hundred bucks that's but it still seemed built. like he was at least still talking in english the way oh, yeah that yeah Yoda he's worked. english yeah yeah <laughs> but like for example you've seen the japanese cut of king congress godzilla um when they Many do the submarine ago, yeah. when they do the submarine seahawk scene the mm-hmm. captain on that sub has actually more of a higher pitch voice whereas in the universal uh, American edit. He's got the typical John Wayne deep voice. Cause he's supposed to be a tough guy, you know, sort of thing going on. That's mm. why. So, yeah, I mean, they'll even dub some of the Americans in these films. Like I've noticed, um, uh, gosh. Yeah. In that same movie too, uh, some of the American scientists that are on that submarine too were dubbed as well. And then I watched, uh, the movie, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla the Japanese cut. And yeah, that same scientist on that sub also had a higher pitch voice. It's so funny because these guys are, you know, we Americans, we want macho tough guys, and so they even redub these English guys to make them we are tough guys, you know, that sort of thing. It's it's pretty ridiculous and, how that works sometimes.
1: Well, for me too, it just feels like sort of a waste of resource when you're doing oh, something it. of the such. It's like, why don't you just use the original voices of those guys? Just leave them alone. Just only dub, you know, the the other characters are speaking in a
0: different language. I got an answer for that.
1: I guess word. What it <laughs>
0: What is it? Uh, money, whatever. <laughs> no, Toho. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's my answer. That should explain everything right there. And here's a moment where I think the movie could have tried to, at least from a character development standpoint, could have tried to um, dive deeper into at least two characters better technically four because I got another thing coming up here in a bit but It's disappointing that Mickey Sagusa was the reason that Ken Yamane wanted to join G-Force, but then nothing is made of their relationship after he joins. It would have been great to try and develop some relationship between them over the course of the movie. And it felt
1: like they hardly had any interaction with one another.
0: And their initial reaction is when she's uh, wondering where... Uh, little Godzilla is and then he comes in saying well maybe he's dead and then she gets mad at him for saying that and I thought boy this would have been great if they could have like had some tension and then gradually over the course of the movie maybe develop I mean they could have developed a romantic relationship because he that's she's the reason why he joined in the first place well it's like that would be one interaction
1: and then the other
0: interaction
1: was uh, when they were trying to discuss of uh, how to lure uh, both Destroyer and Godzilla to face off uh, one another and, they, and that they were in that uh, command center uh, with the other gal trying to, t- trying to come up with a plan. So it, it seemed like that those were the only two interactions that I can think of off yeah. the top of my head right now.
0: And then that's I, yeah. essentially,
1: that was about it.
0: I mean, would it be necessary for them to develop a relationship in the big scheme? No, because technically we watch these movies for the giant monsters, but at the same time though, too, again, Trent, you know, this is being nitpicky, but at the same time, I think there's a reasonable uh, amount of criticism for this in that, from a writing standpoint a good writing standpoint it's a huge blunder because you get um i forget the doctor's name but the doctor with the glasses he goes and visits ken who has this who wrote this thesis on godzilla that the american scientist just a few minutes earlier was discussing was interesting and got off the internet um <laughs> and he was trying to recruit ken and ken initially was like no like i godzilla's a hobby my dad who was uh, the uh, buzz cut uh native from odo island and Kojira, Son- who got Yimane. adopted by dr yamane he was saying his dad taught him everything about godzilla and then this uh professor this guy who's trying to recruit him to g-force uh, gets a phone call from mickey and ken overhears this phone call and he goes wait a minute is that Smith? Mickey Sagusa and he goes, yeah. He's like, then I'll join. I'll join G Force. Let's go right now. And it's just like he obviously has a crush on Mickey, and it just it goes nowhere. That's it's. I mean, that's just it. Like, there's there's nothing. There's no flirt flirting or any sort of relationship building uh, between the two. And I really thought because they. I think they really missed the, uh, the opportunity right. to do that. It seemed and
1: like that. They were trying to set it up, but then they didn't mention anything right Right, they that. set
0: it up and it goes nowhere. So that's a blunder. That's a writing blunder. Mm-hmm. Second of all, because this is the final Godzilla movie and Mickey Sagusa, the character, will never be in, in any Godzilla movie again. This would have been an interesting look at maybe seeing her trying to transition into a post-G-Force life. Like, maybe Ken and her do develop a relationship. And after Godzilla dies, that, well, I guess technically Godzilla Jr. becomes Godzilla, so their work isn't done. But maybe they could transition into a life after G-Force to have a family or so. I don't but, know. But, like, there's a couple it, ways you can, you know, handle this. And then the, the other thing, too, when, as we we're discussing about this, that Mickey
1: was sort of, like, trying to, at least was... Being developed into a relationship in the uh, the prior film to this yeah. film, but then that didn't even go anywhere or transition into this film.
0: I've always assumed the guy got killed. No, not really. I'm just making that up on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't hear you. You were sort of uh, breaking up there. Uh, oh, could you I just that? <laughs> I was being funny at insane. I always assumed the guy got killed. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But but yeah, it, it just seemed like that uh, they didn't. They seemed to try to develop her into with some sort of relationship, but they didn't. It just seemed that it just got mixed up with the the prior film. It, they just should have at least saved it for this film, uh, at least and sort basically develop it into some sort of relationship between her and then uh kenya money but it just it felt like inconsistency within
0: that series that that little bits of it yeah i mean and i think we might have discussed this before on previous podcasts and if we if we did forgive me and indulge me for a moment but if we haven't then i'm going to just go ahead and say this right now um uh, I know we definitely said this part on the podcast before. And in fact, I just said it a couple minutes ago. Most of us watch these films. In fact, probably all of us, excuse me, the carbonated water. Most of us watch these movies basically for the monsters, right? We want to see monsters destroy stuff and fight each other. That's really the main attraction uh, for, for, for us in these films. Um, However, uh, very few films in this franchise, not just the like Godzilla franchise, but even like Gamera and your other Toho Tokusatsu films uh, and anybody else who has made these types of films. Dai, Nikatsu. <laughs> yeah, Nikatsu. Um, uh, yeah, Nikatsu. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, very few of these movies are going to have well-written characters uh the Gamera trilogy is a series of films that i think have they do pretty darn well in writing good characters and writing uh pretty good stories for them trying to flesh them out and actually making stuff matter uh gojira is another one in which it's very good character writing good character development uh mothra versus godzilla is another one that is pretty good um I'm just trying to think of just like maybe one more movie off the top of my head that has pretty darn good, good characters. I will leave it alone for right now, but like you get the picture. Like the, these movies are not, it, most of the time are not going to have well developed characters and you get just enough to kind of know what they're about. But like I was saying earlier with the whole Ken joining G-Force because of Miki and the fact that he doesn't even try to pursue her or anything like that Uh, from an actual critical writing standpoint something like that is a huge blunder and um, Mm -hmm. so yeah it's just kind of unfortunate that some of these characters uh, certain things are set up but they go nowhere and they missed out on certain opportunities I think to really try to flesh them out and give us more character stuff (sighs) But again, we come to these movies more for the monsters than anything else. And to kind of go along with, you know, characters not being fully developed, Yukari Yamane. And I didn't really realize it until watching uh, the movie for this podcast. She's an expendable character. She She really does absolutely nothing of importance in this film other than... To serve as maybe a potential love interest for Doctor Edge, you know. (laughs) Sorry, I just just have to laugh at Doctor Edge. (laughs) I'm copywriting that name for a future like novel or something. Or or yeah, she she does nothing. (laughs) She does nothing though. Yukari Yamane. I didn't realize it till watching this movie because I'm like. Yeah, she's a news anchor, and she introduces Doctor Edge to the movie because she grills him over uh, micro oxygen and how maybe it could be dangerous. But she does nothing of importance in this movie.
1: Yeah now now that now that you mention about it, and then after thinking about it uh, when watching this film, yeah, she, she doesn't really have much of an
0: importance to no, the film and- at all. Even, you know, at the start of the movie when she grills Dr. Edge on her news broadcast, she makes it sound antagonist. Uh, she she sounds antagonistic, in fact, is. And the guy who plays uh, the funny henchman in Godzilla vs. Mothra, uh, he's mm-hmm. kind of like her gopher or whatever. And he, like I was quoting him at the top of this podcast where he tells her, you're a straight talker, but be careful, it could ruin your love life. That's trying to set up a potential uh, relationship between her and Dr. Edge. And you sort of get hints of that throughout the movie, like when he saves her from the one destroyer aggregate in the parking lot there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then again, though, too, sort of like the Ken Meekie, it never really fully develops and it doesn't really go. This one's more developed than the Ken Meekie one, but even then yeah definitely but even then it still isn't even that much developed it still goes nowhere because we just get hints of this um in the film and she does nothing except talking to the camera as a news broadcaster and it's just like well we know what's going on because the movie's already been showing us what's going on like there are strange creatures uh attacking police in the eastern industrial district of tokyo and i'm going yeah no shit like i've been watching this for the last five minutes i know what's going on so Mm -hmm. she should have been a character she should have been either a character that only showed up in just a couple brief scenes like you see in a lot of films that's just there for brief exposition purposes uh, or should have been written out altogether because yeah, I mean, goes it, nowhere.
1: Yeah. Uh, like if she was written out, there's really no other scenes that can go on without her. I mean, it, it can, it can actually, the movie itself can go for without her just take out, some of the scenes that she was in, then, I mean, it just felt like that she wasn't even there to begin with.
0: Yeah. And you know what could have actually made that industrial district scene more um, exciting and maybe uh, tense? You could have had it where Mickey arrived there to do some studying or whatever. G Force called her to I go th- out there and investigate. I think that would have been. She gets. Chased. That, that would have been by the destroy aggregate. That would have been better,
1: and then like all those uh, SWAT like team members can be part
0: of her uh, guards or like backup. Send G force the in yeah. there. Forget mm-hmm. the police and military uh, weapons. Send G force in there. Instead, G force has been. G force started out as sort of like an extension of the self defense force when it was first introduced a few movies earlier and then it seems like with this movie in particular it's i don't know if this was done purposefully and i never heard a line mentioned but it seems like it's been nothing more than a research agency at this point i thought also they were supposed to have like uh, you know, certain weapons and soldiers themselves to go out and, and investigate and to maybe attack some of these. monsters. Because even in the last movie, in Space Godzilla are two main pilots, and even, um, oh, the the crazy guy, I would at Yuki. Uh, um, I, would, I would at least say the only
1: thing that they have, uh, created throughout this entire Heisei series is, uh, you know, Mechagodzilla, Morgira, and then the Super X three. Like, there's at least only two the movies that force. they.
0: Uh, go ahead. The Self Defense Force created Super X three. Remember, because General Aso was on the phone. He's like the head commander of the Self Defense Force, oh, and the professor guys, yeah. with the glasses was like, "What's going on?" And Aso then tells him, who. Works for G Fest. This professor guy. You mean G Force? What I say? <laughs> you said G Fest. <laughs> oh. Uh-huh. Uh, he tells G Fest uh, about this, this 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 new weapon, the Super X three. So the self defense mm-hmm. force created the Super X three, and I'm gonna just quickly bring this up because I just thought of it is a plot hole because all of a sudden they know that you can't attack godzilla using traditional weaponry they just found this out and yet somehow miraculously in the span of 30 seconds the self-defense force created a weapon in the super x3 that uses freezer weapons
1: i'm probably guessing possibly what they're trying to go go with with that dialogue is maybe not with you know, explosive missiles or uh, missiles. anything anything of the sort, but with uh, freezing weapons is what uh, basically what the Mazers and the Super X3 uh, were equipped with.
0: Yeah, I'm willing to let it go, but that's that's a plot hole. And here's so and I'm going <laughs> to and I'm going to bring something that is a real nitpick with me. Um And I've noticed this throughout many of the Heisei films um, and even some other films within the franchise, especially like the older films. Nobody can say the word. I don't want to say nobody. Most of the people don't know how to say nuclear properly. In this film, I lost track of how many times people say nuclear. And I'm like, it's not nuclear. It's nuclear. It's nuclear. It's not nuclear. It's nuclear.
1: (laughs) Uh,
0: uh, yeah, I've, whatever. Toho. <laughs> <laughs> uh. The battle between the police and destroyer aggregates uh, in the industrial district is very aliens-esque. And I know this has been brought up before uh, in, I think, a couple of books. And I know it's been brought up numerous times within the fan community itself.
1: Mainly with how the destroyer aggregates were designed,
0: particularly in one certain part. Well, yeah – but also like as they're going through parts of that in that one building, it the guys with their flamethrowers, it's very aliens like. And look, I, I know some people I think ding the movie because of that. I don't do that because a lot of movies will borrow certain things from other films. Like for example, Ridley Scott when he made the first alien movie, one of his inspirations was a was a 1950s movie called It, The Terror from Beyond Space. So I'm not going to ding the movie then, for trying then, to copy something from a different film. It is
1: that one saying uh, imitation is the greatest form of flattery. <laughs>
0: yeah, so it's not like Final Wars where it borrows, gosh, I don't know how many things from however many American films. That's just almost, in certain moments, a a blatant uh, ripoff of s- certain films. I mean, this is child's play compared to not the movie but uh, <laughs> um, to what Final Final Wars does with some of its sort of almost outright blatant copying of certain films mm-hmm. Matrix yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs>
1: Basically, a time. lot of movies nowadays have tried to imitate the Matrix. I
0: mean, it's it's fine, but just... Sometimes some, it just gets a little too much. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the effects work for the film? Uh, the
1: effects effects work, I thought it was pretty good. Um, some of it, at least over the years, I would say somewhat been outdated uh, for certain parts of the uh, visual effects. Um I would at least say the like the the 3D uh animation graphics as far as um doing like some sort of simulator of like the two Godzilla uh meltdown scenarios where like one was where he was exploding. I would at least say that was the best one because they showed actual stuff in there. But when (laughs) it comes but when it comes to like the meltdown scenario they use full-on yeah. CG graphics for that one which a to simulation. me I, yeah I would at least say that's um, out of the entire movie I would say that that's probably the most outdated part but yeah um, a lot of the visual effects I would say still hold up um, some of them I, I know I've said it earlier when it came to the, the Hong Kong scene where some of it seemed like dating do full on cutouts with certain things there. You'll see maybe bits and parts of the blue screen outline for certain things, especially if we're reviewing the film in uh, the Blu-ray rendition. Um, but other than that, uh, it's really good. There are some. And then also there were some instances when they had uh, like – one of the kaiju, kind or of, like Godzilla, Australia, uh behind like some of the foreground. You see some of the, um, was it the height uh, issues here and there? We're like uh, when they were showing the like the uh, nuclear explosion scenario, where where you see Godzilla behind uh, the National Diet Building. You see him. St- probably like two to three times higher than probably the building that he should have been shorter with. Uh, so there's scale issues. Yeah. Scale issues, uh, here and there. But other than that, uh, the visual effects for this film, I would at least say is one of the better, uh, ones in the Heisei era.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do think the, the effects by and large hold up, uh, pretty darn well i think both computer and technical or should i say um the the um traditional effects uh work really well uh some of the buildings especially there towards the end uh, where the final battles at haneda airport uh there are a few moments where it's kind of meh but by and large i think um I I really think a lot of the effects do hold up well. And I would argue that the uh, effects that steal the scene the most in this uh, movie are the destroyer, the full grown destroyer suit and the burning Godzilla suit. Mm -hmm. Uh, That burning Godzilla suit is just absolutely gorgeous. I am always uh, enthralled with it every time I see it, just just how it's designed where it looks in a, and how it realistic. executed yeah and the steam coming out the glowing eyes the glowing chest and the tips of the glowing uh, spines the destroyer suit is massive unfortunately it weighed so much the other actor couldn't move a whole lot in it but the detail on that thing and just how creative the design is I would, um, I would, i always love that destroyer suit i would
1: at least tip my hat off to a lot of the guys that have designed uh these suits both the burning godzilla and destroy because i would at least say that they were probably one of the better suits in the the whole Heisei film just the way how that you know how they were uh, designed for the movie and how that they were executed especially the burning godzilla and how other additional elements that they added on to that suit like they've never done with any other godzilla suit especially making it glow in a lot of the areas and as well as adding, um, smoke to the suit as
0: well. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's gorgeous. And the one scene I'm surprised you didn't bring this up. Um, Godzilla's actual death. Um, Oh yeah. I still think the practical effects with it. I didn't realize it. And I, And I've always known this, again, kind of like with that first line by that uh, American scientist earlier in the film. I've, you know, obviously I see it, but I didn't think too much about it. But I'm just like, holy crap, like when the skin is melting off like his face, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like I really got disturbed by that this time. Yeah, I would
1: would also like to know how – they made some of that, like what were some of the, probably a
0: wax or something like that is my guess.
1: I would at least say some wax, maybe some sort of uh, like gelatin. I wouldn't say gelatin, like some sort of slime substance, the way it looked in some of the areas when they were showing the close-ups for when, when Godzilla's skin was melting off the, uh, the bone. There yeah.
0: in areas i was just deeply disturbed by that more this time uh seeing see i'm just like that's got to be painful and but at the same time as an effect it's executed really well and then when they do the whole body uh Image to show the final part of the meltdown, like the heart blowing out of him, ugh, and then the actual fully melting down of him. Uh, sure, on some level, the the graphics look a bit dated, but I still think they hold up incredibly well. Um, also, well, I think and I think too with it holding up quite
1: well is that they <laughs> mask that part quite a bit with some of the fog. Uh, effect for it uh, as well and yeah it's it's just really nice and I also like how when they did sort of like a full on uh, shot with uh, the military in the foreground and then Godzilla in the background sort of glowing and his outline there and then all of a sudden you just see it just like deforming into like a huge pile of uh whatever it is, and then the smoke and then a glowing thing coming out like in the center of where he was standing. I'm about to cry as we
0: talk about this
1: <laughs> right right now. But at least there's a happy ending to the film, so.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, by and large, I think with the exception of a few moments, like there's one scene, for example, during the aggregate and military battle where uh there's an aggregate at the end of the hallway and one of the uh, police officers blows it up with a bazooka and it just kind of disappears and an explosion comes out in this weird computer effect that yeah it's just, like a blue it's like
1: a blue screen it's a terrible from screen. from what i've noticed and i've also uh within that uh shot as well it seemed like it was there but then the next frame it wasn't there you don't see any body parts uh whatsoever
0: yeah, wants all this gore <laughs> i want body well, parts
1: <laughs> i mean well it's 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 a kaiju so I know. it's not like a whole rated r sort of thing so you I would for me it, it would have at least have been nice to add in some sort of detail to that cuz i mean Come on, when get Destroyer was facing off Godzilla Jr., it's like he uses his atomic ray to blast blast off some of the parts from Destroya there. So I mean,
0: yeah, what else? I mean. Yeah, my biggest thing was that it was just really weird how like the destroyer aggregate sort of just disappeared out of thin air, and then you have yeah. this weird explosion effect come in. Like the the yeah. the way they feel that particular shot, I think, in my opinion, was maybe the worst effect shot in the whole film i mean it it just it's so noticeably bad i'm just like oh no (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but yeah i mean by and large though i think the effects work for this movie um is pretty darn good for the most part and most of it holds up relatively well today yeah uh let's talk about something that i I think we both are going to be, once again, talking pretty positively about uh, Ifukube's score. Yeah,
1: for me, uh, there's, of course, at least some of the traditional music that come back, uh, like the traditional Ifukube music that come back for this one. But, of course, uh, Redone, a little bit slower this time around. But at least he's still gives his own unique uh uh feel just for this film only especially with the like the requiem uh -hmm. music that's used towards the end of the film when godzilla's melting down uh the the theme for the movie i think is one of the better uh theme scores uh for the uh entire uh Godzilla are you looking franchise. at my notes <laughs> uh <laughs> yeah if you're if you're showing them like right in front of me um but yeah it, to me i'd say it's one of the better uh ifuku based scores that he's ever done uh i would say pr- probably second best behind uh Godzilla vs Mechagodzilla 2 um mm-hmm which to me, in my opinion, I'm probably guessing yours too, that it was Godzilla vs. Mega Godzilla 2 is probably his best uh, music that he's ever done for the Godzilla franchise. Um, so it, I would say with his score mixed in with uh, Godzilla vs. Destroy It, I would say it definitely fits fairly well
0: with it yeah I mean I like I just said a moment ago are you looking at my notes like I <laughs> uh, again I think the the score for this movie is great and like I have written down here the Requiem track uh, it Pretty much pulls at my heartstrings every time. Uh, it's a it's a wonderful track, and in my opinion, at least when it comes to this particular film score, I think it's the best track uh, that's been composed on here. Um, and then, I do th- and then also sadly,
1: just. Just to add in too for those that don't even know that this was essentially Fuku Bay's last appearance in the Godzilla franchise. It was his last, yes,
0: as, yeah, far as I ben think.
1: Maestro. Yeah, because I think a couple of years after the film was made, he
0: passed away. He passed away in 03. So it was still a little while while like eight years later. Uh, in fact, I think this was the last film he scored ever. Period. Like yeah. I, I, it, he wasn't yeah, it was. just done with Godzilla. I think he as, was done as far, period. Like I
1: think he retired. As far as I know, this, this was indeed his final Godzilla film that he's ever composed for.
0: Yeah. Um, as far as comparing it to some of his other films, I still think this is indeed in the top. Um, I still think Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2 is a slightly better score than this one. I don't think necessarily, though, uh, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla 2 is his best. I think it's definitely one of the best. I would say, for me personally, um, his best score is Invasion of Astro Monster. Uh, I really think you get a lot of the traditional... Godzilla and uh sort of stereotypical kaiju music that most fans um uh, uh know uh, f- all of that is really showcased in that film and it's updated from Gojira because I think um Invasion of Astro Monster really brought back certain marches and themes that had not been used at all in any of the previous Godzilla movies since Gojira. Um, and Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster sort of started that. The, the scores between those two films, as I explained on a num- on another podcast many years ago. That, that they were really popularized with those films. Well, they are very similar, but there are differences but I've always said Invasion of Astro Monster was actually a better score because I really thought it did certain themes and marches better. And on top of that, too, um, it provides more of the traditional music many of us longtime fans have been accustomed to when it comes to uh, Godzilla music or kaiju music. And so I, I personally think uh, Invasion of Astro Monster uh, is his best. Um, I think here here are, in no particular order, I think, are his best scores, uh, out of the Godzilla series anyway. I think Mothra versus Godzilla is really good. Um, Invasion of Astro Monster is good. Gija the Three Head of Monster is good, but that and, and Invasion of Astro Monster in many ways are interchangeable, but I think Invasion of Astro Monster is better. Um, and then I would say yeah, then Godzilla versus my Godzilla two in this film. So those are the five scores that I think are really his best. A lot of people would say, well, why didn't you put Gojira in there? Cause that was the one that kind of brought out some of those marches and themes. The reason why I didn't put Gojira on there is because I think Astro monster, when he redid some of those marches, uh, he did them better. Um, and when you listen to some of the music from Gojira, you can tell in some cases, um, some of the archaic uh, methods of bringing together a movie at that time, because you have to remember that movie was made nine years after the drop of the bombs. And so Japan was start, you know, starting to just from an economic standpoint, trying to get their foot, getting their footing, uh, going to building back their economy. Um, and you can hear in some of those tracks uh, shuffling around of people and i think maybe even ifukube i forget what the little stick deal is called but i think you can even hear that tap uh, on the pedestal in some moments as well i think the the music is good but i think it Begins to get perfected by invasion of Astro Monster with a lot of those themes that we hear uh, from Gojira. So that's why mm-hmm. I don't put Gojira in there because I think Gojira, even though yes, it starts a lot of those themes and everything, uh, the the presentation of it uh, is not so great <laughs> in in some cases, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. that's that's why I don't put Gojira in there. Um. I find it weird that after forty years, these destroyer aggregates suddenly appear, begin mutating and evolving like crazy. Mm. Um, how does that work with the oxygen destroyer, though? Because sure, Doctor Edge mentions micro oxygen when it's fed to animals; it can make them bigger and help solve the food crisis. But Doctor Sarazawa, forty years earlier, uh, clearly stated that the formula suffocates and. Dissolves anything in its path. Well, uh, I almost think the movie did some retconning here with that.
1: Well, and, and from the sounds of it too, and I've also listened pretty carefully into the dialogue of it. That from the sounds of it, that the micro oxygen that Doctor Edge made, and comparing it to uh, the oxygen destroyer that Sarazawa made, that it from the sounds of it, that they are two different things. Uh, from the sounds of it, that they are a bit similar in a way, but they are at the same time different. But But here's the uh, thing, though. But then when Dr. Edge was looking at uh, when the the destroyer aggregates combined with one another in, in the way that he was looking at the life feed in the way that it was... Ah, uh, destroying things with the oxygen destroyer. He said that uh, that this was indeed the oxygen, like the oxygen destroyer, not something that the micro oxygen would do where the oxygen destroyer is much more dangerous.
0: My understanding though, is that they were saying the destroyer aggregates appeared because they got mutated by uh, like remnants of the oxygen destroyer. Well,
1: yeah, or maybe maybe the oxygen. Well, the oxygen destroyer from from forty years ago, but that not makes with,
0: sense. Then, if that's but not, true,
1: <laughs> but not using like the micro oxygen that dr edge was making
0: because unless i miss something in the dialogue and i don't know maybe the subtitles would clear this up my understanding was that the aggregates were the result of the original oxygen destroyer if that's true that doesn't make sense because the original oxygen destroyer was designed to suffocate and dissolve material whereas dr edge's micro oxygen uh, you know is different in in some respects is that it makes things bigger but maybe did I miss something where there was I a would, certain type of micro oxygen that either he made or was just present in Tokyo Bay that the crustacea all of a sudden fed on that and they just like did I miss for, something like maybe it was a different micro oxygen that brought these things I would at least say and I would think that this is sort of the theory that I've had
1: uh, since this movie was made or for since uh, first time seeing the film was that I would, uh, and then I would at least think, even though that the oxygen destroyer destroyed, uh, destroyed life forms. um, I would at least say that even though that destroyed life forms that, there could be at least certain life forms that a lot of people didn't think that they could uh, not be immune or could die off with it. But there could be some sort of life forms uh, that were immune uh, to the oxygen destroyer, maybe like microbes of the sorts. So that would be sort of my theory, how uh, the crustaceans that, Essentially transformed into Destroyer or immune, and sort of uh, got mutated from it. Sort of like Godzilla in a way. It's like the same concept where a lot of the life forms essentially uh, can't take in uh, radio like radioactivity and also like die from radioactivity. Or maybe like certain life forms are immune to it and also mutate. I would say that that's sort of the same concept when it comes to the oxygen destroyer and the crustaceans.
0: Yeah. I just, I become more confused now because I'm starting to, the more I've thought about this, the more I'm starting to wonder if either I just keep missing something in the dialogue or the dialogue is only telling part of the story and maybe the subs would clear it up because Again, like I said, I've always for years thought these aggregates were the result of the original oxygen destroyer. And I'm like, if that is true, that makes no sense because the original oxygen destroyer suffocated and dissolved everything that was in its area. But then I started thinking with this viewing, I'm like, did some like, was there sort of like over time as – The um, results of the original oxygen destroyer wore off. Um, Did some of the remaining chemicals turn into uh, a form of micro oxygen where if certain animals were in it or fed on stuff within that area became big? Um, Or did Dr. Edge do something there which i don't think he did but i'm just throwing out some possible ideas but it just has gotten confusing because i'm like okay if they're talking about the original oxygen destroyer then that's bogus because that's not what the original weapon did but then i'm just like well maybe over time sort of like I don't know with radioactivity or something. There's just I don't know certain things maybe change. I don't know. I'm getting confused now all of a sudden because I'm like it makes no sense. I think uh, I think we have to go back into uh,
1: watching those parts again and just try to make a clear understanding of where they're trying to get at with this whole uh, micro oxygen and oxygen destroyer uh, concepts.
0: Yeah, I mean. I almost am inclined to believe some retconning was done. Um, Again, what I need to do, because I've I've owned the Blu-ray of this thing now for several years, and I have yet to watch it in the sub version. Maybe the subs uh, could um, provide some clarity. Because even when I've read some of the books on this movie over the years, I don't think they've really even clarified uh what this is about or or what have you I don't know again it's been a while uh Godzilla productions I wonder if they were sort of created into a mutation from the regi- uh, from the original Oxen Destroyer and the second mutation making them destroy came from the second time yeah i mean even then i've wondered that too which is similar to what i've been saying but again if they were <laughs> If indeed they were a mutation from the original oxygen destroyer, that still makes no sense because that original oxygen destroyer was used to destroy things.
1: Uh, And then, and then I know that, uh, Dr. Edge had six different, uh, soil samples in that one room. I don't know if some of that had the original, uh, remnants of the oxygen destroyer, but then at the same time, uh, the original oxygen destroyer was used in the ocean and how would they know where to locate that original location where that oxygen destroyer was
0: released
1: you know?
0: I if that were the case. I didn't realize how much of a rabbit hole this was going to be when I started <laughs> talking about it, because now I'm getting just more thanks, confused. Thanks to you, we're now in this situation. <laughs> the mutation was heightened the second time because they were mutated the first time. Are you saying, like, the original Oxygen Destroyer was the initial mutation, but because... more micro-oxygen was released, but... That they became bigger, but then where'd the second oxygen, micro oxygen come from? Oh, no, I don't <laughs> <know>. <laughs> I'm all sorts of confused now. Oh, Because I know what Dr. Edge was working on was meant to sort of be like um, a chemical you feed to like fish and other animals and what have you to help with a food crisis. <laughs> but again, if this is coming from the original... Okay, so that's that's what you're saying. Um Oh no, I'm all confused. That still though doesn't make sense because again that original oxygen destroyer dissolved and suffocated every living thing. My understanding there was no like like I'm just going to say that until I maybe go back and rewatch this and listen more carefully or watch a subversion of this um, I'm going to assume the movie retconned or what happened. This could at least be
1: my theory is that uh, the original oxygen destroyer was used and probably some of those microbes Uh, were part of that 40 years ago and that they were in the ocean and then has since maybe still have lived, but still in their original form. And then with Dr. Edge's micro oxygen, where he says that they could uh, increase the size, whereas some of these microbes maybe have moved around since You know that original oxygen destroyer was used and probably have moved out of that original location maybe have lived in the areas and have grabbed from the and maybe were uh in the soil where they have uh were in the soil sample that dr edge uh took a sample of and maybe did something with the soil with the micro oxygen maybe didn't realize it and then doubled the size of these crustaceans and that had some of the remnants of the oxygen destroyer in there maybe <laughs>
0: at least some sort of connection with... (laughs) I like what uh, Godzilla Production says here, saying maybe this is a creature that doesn't need oxygen. That's how it can live with an oxygen-destroying beam. That's... The the thing is, I like that argument better because then I can throw everything out the door as far as trying to uh, explain um, what's been going on. I think that... That I think is the best explanation. Because otherwise, it's either all these really weird ideas we've been spouting off, um, you know, up to this point, or the movie retconned what happened. I like that. But but
1: then then it's like. There has to be some sort of element of the original oxygen destroyer applied to it because... There is, the oxygen beam. Well, yeah. But then like, they
0: could... It's like, I don't know how the micro oxygen. I think our problem is that we're trying to explain Toho science and Toho science, <laughs> as we know, is never really scientifically accurate. So, <laughs> Or at least trying to sort of
1: make a connection or a theory, but I don't even know how the micro oxygen would, trans- would then transform into the oxygen destroyer within uh, these uh, crustaceans which eventually transform into destroyer
0: maybe we aren't supposed to think about that we should <laughs> <laughs> but that's probably the problem that's why we're all that's why we're all sorts of messed up uh right now it's released from water awakens something in their dna that the oxygen destroyer affected it's smothered by uh smothered by the water uh, and is smothered by the water, I mean it could be. I mean, this is the best explanation I've been able to find over like 20 years since watching this movie, because I remember the first couple of times we watched this. I'm like, there was a part and I didn't think too much about it, but just through passing, I'm like, that sort of kind of doesn't make sense. But then I'm just like, whatever, you know, I just kind of ignored it all these years. But this time I'm like, okay, we got to discuss it on the podcast like this has to be something that needs to be addressed. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Thanks to you. We're in this mess. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize I thought maybe I had missed something Uh, like, I don't know, like I missed something in Dr. Edge's uh, exposition or or was smothered by water. Very well could be because I remember Dr. Edge at one point and I don't know how important this is to this. Explanation because he said uh, in one line that if the oxygen destroyer had not been used on the ground, Tokyo would have been a graveyard. So something about having it land on the ground and then activate it after it had landed on the ground saved Tokyo from more devastation. <sighs> a moment of silence to just gather our thoughts.
1: And, <laughs> and to I'm not, not going to go
0: any further into, into that. thing. Sort of I like more of what so. Godzilla productions is saying, because, uh, first of all, it's simpler. It's the Occam's razor uh, explanation where usually not always, usually the simplest answer is the correct answer. Um, uh, So I'm, I'm going to go with that because at least in the dubbed version, uh, to me, nothing makes sense. Like I said, unless I missed a line, but I've been watching this movie, uh, pretty much once a year for at least that for over 20 years. So, and in a few times, you know, more than that. So I've seen this movie over 20 some odd times and I haven't, and I don't remember any sort of line. That uh, really, you know, fully explain that properly to at least make it sound halfway sense. But mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I'm going to go with I think we spent way too Yeah, we spent way too much on that part. Yeah. So, I'm going to move on to like the next thing I wanted to bring up was I found I've always found it disappointing that the final battle wasn't more in the heart of Tokyo with all the skyscrapers around the Kaiju because I think it would have made for a more impressive high stakes finale, but I'm uh, sure and- the budget didn't allow for such a
1: and then Set also, to be
0: constructed.
1: And then also, they only just had one co- confrontation, and that was towards the end oh of the kaiju film. Christmas. And then it was towards the end of the film, and it wasn't quite as long as your usual kaiju fight. I mean, you had uh, essentially uh, Godzilla Junior facing off against Destroya there, and then after that when uh destroyer goes into his final form that was then and when uh both destroyer and godzilla faced off and that was the only time in that entire film where they uh faced off was uh towards
0: the end of the film there so they At didn't have nada airport which it didn't make for impressive visuals um Yeah, That's one of my problems. But like I said, I think budget probably played a huge part in why. And and I think, too, it was in that
1: sort of area where there isn't as much uh, buildings around the area. You just had maybe like your sort of small to mid uh, some high, high rise buildings there. And then you had the bay there where... The Haneda Airport is located right right along the Tokyo Bay uh, area. And then you had like some of your smaller man-made islands uh, there. So I can see why they might have not had a whole lot of uh, budget to work off of uh, for that. And as well as not a whole lot for maybe two to three kaiju confrontations where they usually have done in the past films up to this point where they just only had, uh, Godzilla junior versus, uh, destroy And then essentially Godzilla versus Godzilla
0: round one. Yeah. Um, I wanted to quickly just, uh, add a, a quick note, um, on that, where, uh, you know how earlier in the movie we were talking about some issues with foreground uh, deals with the Hong Kong attack. Uh, I found one scene here at the Haneda Airport really kind of goofy where uh, Destroya is uh, dragging Godzilla. And then there's this one shot where in the foreground... Um, there are planes getting ready to go on the runway and take off. <laughs> I'm just like, is that supposed to be intentionally funny? I, I don't think so. But again, it's just like airports running as normal. Oh, there go a couple kaiju in the background fighting. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> well, you would at least thought that you wouldn't see any movement going on in I would the like airport for
0: an to destroy a movie, actually.
1: Yeah, but you would at least have thought that there wouldn't have been any, like, movement going on. You should have at least seen mostly standstill. Maybe, like, actual uh, practical, like, maybe models of, uh, like, planes and such there in the foreground. But, of course, they probably didn't have a big... Uh, uh, studio lot to accommodate for that so it's fortunately that they probably had to use some sort of uh mat or blue screen for the foreground uh there
0: so yeah yeah i just um yeah i just am a little disappointed by that and here's the th- one thing though that i am even more disappointed in uh than just the fact that uh oh you always thought it was supposed to be funny i hope you're right uh godzilla productions that i hope it was supposed to be considered funny i don't think it was but i've always thought it was comedic but the thing i'm most disappointed in is the fact that Godzilla never finished off Destroya, that the self-defense force with the Mazer cannons and the Super X3 finished off Destroya because Godzilla, he gets in several big uh, hits with his beam at Destroya there right before it gets fully destroyed by the self-defense force, but he never totally takes out Destroya, and I always felt cheated by all Well, that.
1: that, and then that, but then also it's like... With the freezer freezing weapons that the military were using throughout this entire film, that they were essentially the most ex- effective against destroyer, yeah. which is amazingly sort of a shocker that they didn't even even bother totally using it against. Well, they sort of did, but for some reason that they just. <laughs> They never even really full on use them. Well,
0: It's the the aggregates before that they combine to make one destroyer. Well, that's because do you remember that one scene with Dr. Edge where he's committing the experiment where they find at minus 183 that uh, micro oxygen liquefies? That's Mm -hmm. when they use it. So that part of the movie. Is used to set up the ending where the self-defense force. But wasn't uh,
1: that before they were battling against the aggregates? I
0: think that was after. I think.
1: Yeah, I'll have to look into that. I think it
0: was after because if
1: it was before,
0: because they did use some of aggregates. those. They did use some of those lasers uh, right before uh, the aggregates became the real big flying destroyer because then they retreated and then they're like wait a minute micro oxygen is off the charts and then boom well, here the, comes they, the flying destroyer well it turned into like the crab form and then it f- flew off and it right so yeah. yeah i mean it's somewhere at that point in the movie in which it takes place but that also i think more importantly was supposed to set up for the self-defense force to um ultimately defeat Destroya, but The fact of the matter is, look, this was supposed to be Godzilla's last Toho movie for quite some time, and they should have left that alone in terms of the whole micro oxygen liquefies at 183 because then they wouldn't have had to follow through on that. That's so funny. They follow through on that. Darn minus 183, Liquid uh, liquefaction of micro oxygen, but they couldn't follow through on kenyamane and Mickey Sagusa hooking up. <laughs> Shame on you, Kazuki <laughs> Morai for for leaving well, some plot threads dangling while you follow through
1: on others. But it's also the other thing that you mentioned about earlier. We're here for the
0: kaiju stuff, so I know. it sort of ties in with the kaiju stuff. I know, but it just... They should have left that alone because this is Godzilla's final "quote unquote" film, and and the thing is, is in a movie like this where you have a big bad villain like Destroy. I mean, this is this is a brutal villain. This is a villain that. Um, This is a villain that kills Godzilla Jr. and then, you know, uses its horn to slice up uh, Godzilla a couple of times. This is just a brutal villain. And I wanted Godzilla to kill this thing, Uh, you know, because this thing is sinister. I mean, look, imagine this, like something kills your child. Don't you want to kill that thing that kills your child like you would think from a story standpoint a spoiler alert like in the new Rambo movie his niece gets killed by these drug lords and Rambo goes after and kills these guys utterly it's like that's satisfying it's like that's what I wanted to have happen here you have this big bad villain in Destroya, and you want to see uh, you want to see a uh, 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 Godzilla kill him, but then on top of that, this thing kills his son, and as a result, you also uh, want Godzilla to kill Destroy because of that as well. I mean, I think they they were sort of trying to portray
1: that in a way, but then at the same time, Godzilla is in a state where he's getting close to being in the meltdown phase. So I think there is part of that. That's sort of in the play with that. Like where he was trying to get some of that energy. Like when he's angry after his, uh, son is killed from falling from so many, uh, feet up in the air. But then at the same time, he's, you know, dying. So, I think there's some sort of elements playing into that, too, where he's like angry, but then at the same time he's dying. So he's trying to at least trying to get, you know, probably doesn't have a whole lot of energy trying to go after. He's got him. a lot of it. He's releasing energy like
0: crazy. Well, in that sort of sense. Yeah. But <laughs> as far as physical <laughs> energy. Well, I mean, he's got enough energy because one of the moments I really like, I love this battle. I mean, with the exception of Godzilla, not killing destroy, I really like the battle for the most part, because one of my favorite moments is when they're doing some hand to hand combat and Godzilla splits open that part of destroys chest and he claws at it. And all this blood is splattering and destroys even spitting some of it out that like, that's one of my favorite moments during that battle. Cause it's like, yeah, you know, kill that thing. You know, it's, That part is very satisfying because, like you said, uh, he's in rage and like he's just like, I'm gonna kill you, and just beating away at him and blood spurting out. There's your gore, Jason, you gore hound.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and then, and then towards the end, uh, when Godzilla uh, is getting close to meltdown phase, where you see like his uh, dorsal fins starting to melt. And then you see, like, that huge wave of uh, radioactive energy spewing out from his dorsal fins. Then that's where, like, he has, like, his uh, atomic ray goes into destructive mode. And where you see all this explosion once yeah. he releases that. And some of that goes, like, tears off part of uh, Destroyer's like, uh, thing. Cranial thing. Part of his head or we'll just whatever, say. yeah, part of his <laughs> head, and you see some of that like sh- like into shreds and like hanging from him too. That's that's sort of where I think most of his energy comes in into play
0: before he goes in, into meltdown mode. Yeah, I just I still I like the battle for the most part. It is pretty satisfying for the most part like even that moment where Destroya breaks down into the aggregates and they crawl up on him and you know he's tussling around with him and he throws a few of them off of him Uh the final battle I think by and large is pretty darn satisfying I, but it's and the, just and the,
1: and the one thing to add into there is once he throws one of them off from him I, I also liked where one of them just like spats out black before <laughs> Like, just in midair and just
0: before flight. That may have been a premature him. blood splattering by the <laughs> <Yeah>. technical. <laughs> we I just was, need was... Mothra to lure, destroy to Antarctica and have Godzilla use a pulse uh, pull and blast him into a glacier. That'd be great. Or just, I would love to even just see Godzilla rip him limb from limb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But one thing I want to talk about that I think we have to talk about um, is... We're we gonna death go down scene. the rabbit hole. Ha, a rabbit hole with this? No, one no, here? no. There's no rabbit hole this <laughs> time. This
1: uh
0: this I think is cut and dry. Uh, the Godzilla's death scene. Well, I know this we talked a little bit about it. We too, talked probably. a little bit about it, but I want to talk a little bit more. And we talked about the effects for it. Uh, but I want to say his death scene, because this movie uh made it a point on posters and and trailers that like the the one on your shirt there yes right here godzilla dies that's what that says um that's what it's seriously that's what it says godzilla dies i'm not making that that up and then (laughs) that poster there yeah uh but like in all the trailers and the posters the big like sort of tagline so to speak for this movie was that godzilla dies and of course it was used by toho to try to get higher ticket sales uh for the film and it by and large, did uh, work for a, a little while. Uh, roars into the sunset like King of the Monsters. Yeah. I do like that one, Godzilla Productions. I do like that idea. <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's uh, set up basically. Godzilla dies. You got to come and see this film. And I have thought about this. Um, over the last couple of days since I've seen the movie and prepare, uh, prepared to talk about it for this podcast, in that I never really thought about it. In that you know, if his death scene was not handled with such uh, poignance and care, uh, it would be a death scene that didn't matter. And I guess one could argue, well, because Godzilla Junior is revived at the end, that Godzilla. I didn't die, even though the one individual Godzilla, yes, did die. Um, the fact that the special effects, what they sh- chose to show during the meltdown, the melting of the spines and the face, and then ultimately his entire body, including the explosion of his heart, and the music, if none of that stuff had been carefully thought out and orchestrated properly, this death scene would not have had such the emotional impact that I think it currently has, that it just would have been a generic death scene that we as audience members probably would have felt much of nothing about. Ifukube's Requiem and just sort of this pain we get from Godzilla during the scene as he's melting down and everything. I mean, I cry just about every time I see this death. I'm almost getting tears in my eyes right now just even thinking about it. Uh, I cried here the other day for the first time in a while seeing that death scene. Um, but almost every time I cry when i see that death scene my eyes water a little bit just about every time i don't cry every time but i get emotional a little bit but if this wasn't done properly this death scene would have really meant nothing um i have to give kudos to you know everybody uh uh you know, Ifukube for creating a, an awesome track and the cinematographers, Koichi Kawakita for the effects for the spines and the melting down of the face and then the entire body and then Takawa Akawara uh, and anybody else involved in terms of setting up the shots and and and, um, you know, planning out how this was going to be constructed. I mean, in my opinion, uh, it's one, if not the most emotional Emotionally impactful scenes in the entire franchise. Uh, It's just, it's one of the most emotional moments I have ever seen in any movie. And just kudos to everybody involved who put that together for creating the the most uh, impactful scene, because that's what we are supposed to feel. And like Godzilla uh, uh, Productions here says, I always cried when he died. It was brutal. The scene is so long, it makes you cry. Exactly. I mean, it just it's not just the length. It's just how it's put together as well with the music and the shots and what they chose to show you as he dies. Um uh, I, I mean, like I said, I, I'm as I'm talking about it, I'm starting to get a little emotional thinking about it. It just it,
1: well, I think it, it just too at it's the same. So, time. It's
0: done so well. Well, and then I think
1: also at the same time with the the ending part there, where he melts down, and then you see Junior becoming an adult towards the end. I think you get quite a few uh, like emotions uh mixed in with uh, with all that you know i think before the meltdown you get like the normal one and maybe with uh excitement when uh the military takes down Destroya, and then you go into like the emotion of uh sadness when godzilla goes into meltdown mode and then you get like the emotion of joy and happiness that uh, Godzilla Jr. lives at the end.
0: Yeah. Like junior lives, but at the same time, Godzilla lives like, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of, it plays on that sort of, sort of the duality of, of that. It's like two things coming together that it's just like, okay, this thing isn't a, complete and total bummer uh but. but it's like at the same time where like the
1: original godzilla for me it's like maybe like the second godzilla after like the original Gojira. Like right we've yeah. for like 40 years uh like there's at, for me at least within this universe there's at least three of them with the original one then this one that just died off and then you got Godzilla Jr. Mm -hmm. So it's like the one that has passed away has been around for basically 40 years. You know, gone through like uh, from uh, that has seen many battles for many years with many life forms. And you just have been so touched with the second Godzilla that yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you get the third Godzilla. And, and with with Godzilla Jr. becoming an adult, I've always had like maybe just like a little uh, kind of uh, a niche sort of theory where this one has since maybe uh, deformed a little bit to where he's like comes back
0: for... Godzilla 2000 and then well, like the Millennium series. Like Godzilla Productions had here, and I think many of us had this theory originally when Godzilla 2000 was announced where you know Godzilla Productions says he always thought that G2000 was Junior, and he still wish it was true because you want to know what happens next. Yeah, I remember when Godzilla 2000 was uh, at least mentioned that that was going to go into pre-production and then mm-hmm. production. Many of uh, many of us myself included thought is this a continuation of junior and of course as we know that's not true yeah uh, but at the same time though too yeah well I, I, the thing is the unfortunate thing about godzilla 2000 and really that whole millennium series with the exception of two movies is that really each movie in that era is its own movie and there's no mm-hmm. continuation like you have here in the haysei which is a bummer because even I mean, who knows? Like, this is a whole alternate universe. So, what I'm speculating here, you know, could be anything. But, like, assuming that was Junior, we wouldn't get a continuation of his story. Or maybe if in an alternate universe it was Junior, maybe we would have gotten a continuation. Maybe Toho would have like, said, look, let's, I, I don't know. But. Uh, and
1: then, with me, too, the, the thing with the whole, uh, deb- I would say the debunking part of. The Millennium Godzilla being Junior is that uh, when it comes to Godzilla versus Mega as where I think that just sort of that whole theory just fell apart essentially because make the Mega gears film essentially tied into the original uh, well, yeah, um, Gojira thing, and then so on and so forth. <sighs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it's I think on the one hand, though, I'm kind of glad they left it alone because it's just like it leaves it up to our imaginations. It leaves us, the fans, the viewers to just because sometimes like, you know, in horror movies, uh, they sometimes say that some of the best horror is the horror that is sort of either implied or not fully seen because sometimes our imaginations come up with something that's even more gruesome than maybe what they could have shown on screen. I'm thinking it's something similar here. Whereas our imaginations can just kind of go wherever and Mm -hmm. just sort of figure out, you know, there's no right or wrong answer to it. Just kind of figure out on our own. What do we want to happen to junior after that? So, um, you always Godzilla productions. I always thought all of them were put together. Well, other than GMK and GFW, yeah, well, the, and the then only GMX, ones that are Godzilla vs Meggyeras. Well, um, the only ones that are like connected to each other are uh, Mechagodzilla and Tokyo SOS. Those are the only ones that yeah. are. In direct connection otherwise they're every single film is its own separate film uh in that era unfortunately but at the same time there are pros and cons of to that too but yeah well that's the, the 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 millennium era is a complete different discussion for a different time one of the things though to go along with talking about godzilla's death scene here and even though this isn't his final uh, godzilla film that he directs because that comes with Godzilla 2000. I want to give high praise to Taco Akawara. Uh, this is a director that just does not get enough credit. Uh, I think in the fan community, at least here in the Western Hemisphere, because uh, Honda, you know, has cast a large shadow, and rightfully so. Uh, the unfortunate thing is, I think there are many other great directors uh, within the franchise, and I think Taco Akawara is. Um, one of them. And in fact, I've, I've always thought he, he's sort of kind of fighting Fukuda p- potentially for second best director, uh, in this entire series, at least when it comes to the Japanese films. And, um, you know, he directed the 92 Godzilla versus Mothra. He directed Godzilla versus Godzilla two. He directed this film and Godzilla 2000, uh, Uh, You know, three of those four films, I think, are some of the best of the Japanese films. And Godzilla vs. Mothra is a film that uh, in recent years, I've really started to appreciate a lot more. I really find that its characters are more interesting than I had previously thought. I think the story is pretty good, too. Um, What was his name? I'm sorry, Godzilla Productions. Uh, I, I... I guess I missed that when you brought... Are you talking about the director, Takao Akawara? Is that who you're referring to? Um, the The feed here is like 30 seconds behind. So forgive us for that. Um, but yeah, I just think the director, Takao Akawara, needs to be given a lot of props uh, here because... I just think he has done a, a tremendous job in in putting together at least three of the uh, of the in my opinion, some of the better Godzilla films. I, I, I love Godzilla 2000. I love this movie and I love uh, Godzilla versus my Godzilla two. And I just want to give props because again, uh, this Godzilla death scene, if he and, and other members of the crew did not really take their time to really think this through and to put together something that ended up being as emotionally impactful as it is, it just would have been a generic death that meant nothing. And so I just he's got to be given props. And I hope the fan community uh, begins to um, give him more appreciation. I always hate how Godzilla lost in Godzilla versus Mothra, though. Yeah, the unfortunate thing about any Godzilla versus Mothra movie is that Mothra is always going to win because Mothra is considered the pure good guy, whereas Godzilla is more he's either going to be more villainous or more kind of in the middle, uh, you know. Maybe like the anti-hero. Yeah, that's just how it's probably always going to be. In my universe, that's not true. Godzilla kills everybody. (laughs) 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 Um, But yeah. Uh, unless there's uh, some things you want to discuss I think we can go into final thoughts I think think with a lot of the things that we talked about I think think we are (laughs) I got actually one more thing I think is very important to discuss with this film and that is Dr. Edge's exercise regimen um no I'm just making that up (laughs) it was like I don't know if that was even part of it yeah there's a cutscene you didn't see in your version, Jason. <laughs> He's doing jumping jacks on a trampoline in his underwear. Boy, I, I, <laughs> I would like to know what you're smoking. <laughs> I wish I was smoking something. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, do you want to go into your final thoughts and your rating?
1: Um, yeah,
0: as far as my
1: final thoughts, uh, for me, Godzilla vs. Destroy is... Uh, I know I've given this away in the earlier part of this uh, episode is that um, for me, Godzilla for just destroy it is one of the better films of the Heisei series of Godzilla uh, films. Um, I think is held up uh, quite well, especially with it nearing its 25th. Uh, year coming up next year, uh, I know that's probably going to be one of the main things uh, going to be talked about in uh, this upcoming GFS. Uh, was it uh, GFS twenty seven? Uh, the visual effects have also have held up quite a bit well, except for maybe a couple things here and there. And there were some nitpicks that we uh, uh, touched upon uh, in the earlier parts of the episode um the kaiju fights even though that they were sort of in the middle towards the end of the film uh i would uh, just like to say that even though that they were just a one and done confrontation that they still were pretty darn good (laughs) love the uh visual effects parts for like the oxygen destroyer and as well as uh his atomic ray which is essentially uh been sort of rehashed from some of the previous uh heisei films but as far as the suits for both destroyer and Godzilla, and i know we mentioned mentioned this earlier that they were designed exceptionally well and executed pretty damn good love the ad- addition additional detail for Godzilla as far as the, uh, the like a lot of the glowing parts all, all over the entire suit and as well as the addition to steam in the Godzilla suit and it's just uh, uh, like the suits were just phenomenal and it's probably one of the better uh, suit designs in the entire Godzilla franchise um the score to uh God'szo's Destroyer as mentioned also is probably one of the better additions to this also with it being Akira Fukubei's last uh, uh composing uh was it uh what's the name uh score yeah score to a film in his entire life. For the rest of his life i think he went out with the bane with godzilla versus Destroyer, especially with the addition of the requiem uh everything and then as far as the story it can be a hit and a miss with the dialogue <laughs> uh if it was uh maybe like the original script, or if it was just a dub with certain areas of the film, like some some plot holes or retcon. Um, yeah, sometimes it can be a hit and miss. There were some uh, missed opportunities with some of the characters, how they they were handled there. Um, also, I like the uh, some of the addition uh, character addition with trying to connect with the original Gojira 1954 how they brought back one of the uh, main cast members from that original movie Um, I forget forget her name but they've brought her back in this film and then of course uh, included in some uh, like Dr. Yamane in here with his like uh descendants and everything it's just i think it's a nice addition to this film as well uh, tying it in with the original 1954 film trying to bring a full circle with everything even with uh talks of the oxygen destroyer and so on and so forth it it's it's just a really nice addition but of course some missed opportunities with the story and the characters, and as well as some of the writing was sort of a hit and miss. Um, other than that, I would still give this movie a definite buy overall, even though there are some uh, issues with the film. But other than that, it's it's a film that has held up for nearly 25 years. I think it's a definite buy, a movie that you can watch so many times, uh, there's a lot of mixed motions here and there. It's it's just a really good good movie, a good addition to the Godzilla franchise.
0: Godzilla Productions, uh, as uh, I'm because there's such a delay in the feed here, I would like to know your thoughts um, on this movie while I go ahead and give my my final thoughts. Um, okay, so here are my final thoughts on Godzilla vs. Destroyer. Godzilla vs. Destroyah entered the franchise being the 22nd, and for a while at least, final Toho Godzilla movie. Toho made it no secret that Godzilla was going to die and that the stakes were going to be higher than ever. The movie partially delivers on these ominous dangers by giving us a Godzilla on the verge of a horrible death that will take the world with him and an enemy in Destroyah, whose capabilities of releasing micro-oxygen into the atmosphere are just as, if not more deadly. We also see a couple of simulations as to what Godzilla's death would actually do to the planet should he explode or meltdown. The problem here, though, is that these dangers aren't necessarily realized to a fuller extent. Sure, the self-defense force had to freeze Godzilla during his meltdown to prevent the world from going with him. But other means could have been used to show, either during the final battle or even earlier in the movie, that his condition was some serious shit. The same goes for Destroya. We got a glimpse of it with the aquarium and the police battle, but nothing beyond that. They could have shown part of Tokyo decimated by Destroya releasing a bit of micro-oxygen or another Japanese city being lost at the hands of Destroya via its micro-oxygen capabilities. Such possibilities could have been used to really illustrate the actual threat of the situation at hand. It's also disappointing that the character depth is at a loss. It would have been great to see Yukari Yamane contribute something worthwhile to the plot and to see Mickey maybe begin to transition into a post-G-Force life with Ken. I kind of stressed it That was a little weird sounding (laughs) Um, Yeah Sadly, such opportunities, which were set up and hinted at earlier in the movie, are dropped. Despite those shortcomings, Godzilla vs. Destroyer is an entertaining film and a, worth, and a worthy one at that to be Godzilla's, quote, final, unquote, movie. Destroy is a badass kaiju villain, and the fights between it and Godzilla and Godzilla Jr. are brutal. Ifukube's score delivers a knockout performance in his Requiem track, especially as the hallmark of the movie. Godzilla's death, however, is the biggest show stealer. It's painful to watch and no Godzilla fan can say they haven't shed a tear at least once when watching this scene. The effects work is very good by and large. Perhaps the best work lies with the kaiju suits and the CG effects. The suits are gorgeous and the CG effects haven't looked this good up to this point in the franchise. The movie is a wild ride that ends on a very somber note. It's a film that is incredibly enjoyable and worth watching and as a result like you i'm saying it's a buy rating this is a movie that is definitely needed to be watched and seen by kaiju fans all right oh, yeah. godzilla productions his thoughts on destroy it's pretty good i love every one of Destroyer's designs i always got anxiety when godzilla jr fought destroy i did too i still think that's a little tough to watch. Not as tough to watch as Godzilla's death scene, but still tough. Each of Godzilla's deaths were very powerful and handled well. We definitely need to destroy it to return. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um... With that as well, this is a kaiju. This Destroya, along with uh, Space Godzilla, for, are two of the kaiju that I definitely would love to see return in, in future films. And, uh, whether and or not I know that will happen remains to be seen. But and I know there's like uh, talks from the
1: Godzilla community and speculation here and there where some people would like to see Destroya come back in the the legendary uh, monster verse. when it comes to Godzilla versus Kong, but I don't know if that's going to happen here, uh, especially with just one of the one heads of Ghidorah uh, surviving. I
0: still think American Ghidorah is in the works.
1: Yeah, there is speculation with that too, but uh, I know a lot of the fans in the community have uh, thought about... Thinking that Destroyer would be uh be present in Godzilla vs. but for me there has to be at least something. Well, maybe with the oxygen destroyer part.
0: No, uh, because then there's gonna be another rabbit hole <laughs> figuring out how Destroya came back with this. one. it's like you are? Yeah. So there's there's at least
1: sort of the ex- ex- explanation there where people where there is sort of makes sense where Destroyer comes into play, but um, as far him actually being part of the Monsterverse, I can possibly see it with the Oxygen Destroyer from uh, Godzilla King and the Monsters, but as him being the main antagonist for Godzilla vs. Khan, I don't think doesn't really quite make sense as of right now, but in... Further, Monster First films, if they do continue
0: with it, it could be a possibility. Yeah. If Destroy is in Godzilla vs. Kong, then, well, to put it short, rest in peace, Kong. Yeah. <laughs> Although, who knows? They may give Kong some sort of weird super ape or human capabilities or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with that. Um, yeah, I, think I don't that's... know. Is there anything else like any housekeeping, uh, what we're going to do? I just want to s- say this right now. Uh, we don't have a definitive date set up yet for next month's show. Um, uh, and... you, you, you sort of broke out there. What was you... the last thing you heard of? Uh, as far as housekeeping. <laughs> okay. Well, um, as far as next month's episode, uh, it is the final episode we're going to do of the year and anybody who uh, hasn't been with us the last, excuse me, few months, uh, we've kind of, we're, instead of doing a podcast every other week, we're doing one a month for the oh, foreseeable reasons. future. <laughs> yeah. Um, to, I just was trying to figure out a way to, to, to explain it, but, um, that's kind of what we're doing. And so there's obviously only going to be one next month. We haven't figured out a date yet. My guess, if we were to try to do something, this is just, we at least talked about doing it in the middle of December. I'm thinking right now, either like the 14th or the 21st, maybe, or even the 15th or 22nd. Um, We'll figure things out and we'll let everybody know via, um, um, social media what the what that's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. God, Skull Island Storm was there to protect him and Kong absorbs the storm to get his lightning ability. Oh my gosh, if they pull that, <laughs> I'm going to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> or that else just I'll, sounds I'll like just, something.
1: <laughs> or else I'll just probably laugh, especially just hearing that and how are they going to execute that?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> That'd probably be hilarious. Yeah. I would just be like, oh no, God, Kong is worse than Gamera. But anyway. <laughs> that would be like Gamera level <laughs> power up right there. I'm not even going to get into that. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, like typically in years past, uh, we tried to do a major like end of the year show where it usually goes on for several hours. And yeah, um, last
1: last year's, I think, went close to three, three and a half hours
0: yeah and i mean we usually cover a lot of ground it's just some sort of big extravaganza where we kind of talk a little bit about g-fest again we talk about just the year in general kind of what it's like for being a kaiju fan you know what's good bad somewhere in the middle um, well then and
1: Um, then two with the next year being our 10 years so we're gonna possibly start only we haven't really talked
0: about like start celebrating our 10 years yeah it'll be our 10th anniversary in terms of podcasting um next year jason by the sounds of it isn't going to g-fest next year um well i've really thought about it uh oh breaking news Uh, this i don't even know
1: here well and then too you've also talked about We've also talked about with the the hotel reservation and everything, and I've looked into it and the way that the whole reservation is set up, I can't really do much of it on my end with the ex- exception of one of us calling them by phone and dealing with the whole reservation and ourselves. I mean, I can't change my, like the whole credit card information and stuff to your and everything and like taking off or adding on more people into the reservation, which seems to be odd in a way.
0: That's so then if you aren't going and I wanted to go, you would have to cancel it. And I would have to quickly like call. Yeah. And this is guarantee me. And this is the whole thing that
1: I've been really debating for the last several days since you've asked this question to me that, and then with our 10th anniversary coming up, it would just be sort of a dickish move for me not being there. And then just you being at G Fest. I would almost say I'm just <laughs> going to go. I'm just going to go to G Fest this next G Fest. Oh, us. you're going now yeah yeah i think it would just would have been a dickish move especially with it being our 10th anniversary next year and then if it was just you and then not me it would just felt a little bit awkward so i would just say that i'm just i'm just gonna go just gonna go to GFAS, yeah. even though my even though my uh, percentage of not going currently was gonna be at nine, was at
0: 92%. That's a weird percentage, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How you but, figured that out, I don't know, but <laughs> but
1: I would just I'm just gonna say that I'm just gonna go. Uh, next year, but probably not really sp- uh, spend much. Anyways, but um, I would at least say, from this point forward, I would say that you deal with the reservations. <laughs> you deal from, with it <laughs> from now on, especially with you know if it's just gonna be you and your uh and Lincoln from. For one of the years and then me doing my own thing here and there. I would just at least say maybe you handling the reservation part from now on. You'll have to show <laughs> me how to do that because you've been handling this. Stuff I mean, for the last. I mean, it's it's fairly easy. It's the only thing is. You probably will need to at least have an account because there are at times where you, you can rack up points and then maybe use points instead of your well, own. Well no, I'm card. not talking
0: about IHG. I'm talking about like figuring out when the when the rooms are available to use the discount code. Oh, I would um, call them up. I would call them up by phone. I'm I not would, gonna use for me.
1: It was just essentially come uh just keeping an eye on both the the gfs facebook page and twitter uh account as well from after gfs until i think it was the middle of august when they announced uh the openings of the rooms and the reservation as well as the uh discount code that they've released for that so, I would su- suggest to you keep your eye out on those two things
0: during. So does the G page also? Does the G Fest page also tell you when registration is available?
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. But so I would at least just, check. I would at least check with the Twitter with their Twitter account as well because it seems to me that they uh,
0: update the Twitter account before the uh, Facebook page well I hate Twitter and I don't like using Twitter I just
1: I don't even I mean have I'm not on there. Twitter as as much too but they have it publicly they don't have it set to private but I would at least keep an eye out on those two things
0: okay so that's good to note for the future I, I don't know i don't know if you've even done this though could i even reserve a room and then call them later to use the code or uh is i'll i'll show you
1: uh maybe one once we get off uh uh the show here and i can pr- i think i might have a uh share screen on here but um yeah i'll have to show you i mean it's it's a simple process just go on the uh the the hotel's website and there's like a th- thing where you like check in and check out and then there's like a little box of the discount code oh, okay there. Yeah, it's, it's fairly out. simple i but can then, figure that out but then i would say just uh register register a I, ihg account because then you'll rack up points and then maybe like one of the years you can use those points instead of your um, uh, like uh, credit card information there. So like you can reserve a room with your points uh, here because as of right now, I've racked up, I think from last I checked the other day, it was over 35,000 points. Uh, with your buying dinner. dinner. <laughs> or at least one room a night. Maybe like the next time when we go. But uh yeah, yeah, so I would at least
0: register for an IHG account. Yeah. yeah so well, we'll see. But um as far as I don't know how we got off on this table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> but, uh, but yeah as far as uh the uh oh we were talking about g-fest we kind of talked about (laughs) g-fest yes um but um that's one of the things we kind of typically do uh but we'll kind of work out some ideas jason and i haven't really discussed too much and we both have been kind of floating around a few ideas we haven't settled on anything definitive yet um We've been thinking about maybe trying to get some old uh, guests we haven't had on the show on we don't know if we're gonna do that though um, but then it could just be another show where we just kind of go on talking about so many different things that are Godzilla I may even try to maybe uh, see if I could watch like all the supplemental material on this criterion collection perhaps maybe even check out all the and films made. that's a and big then- order but oh no I bent it <laughs> And
1: then Good. I would, and then I've tried to plan to finish up. Uh, was it Johnny Sacco and his flying robot? It's here because I think how long? <laughs> uh, probably close to a year. <laughs> but I think I'm. It's twenty six
0: episodes. <laughs> I know, but
1: I think I'm on the uh, the last disc of that entire series. So we'd would, would like to try to finish that up before the end of the year and talk about it and be done with it. <laughs> so, so I would like to at least get that done and over with. And I would like to try to, um, uh, watch, uh, Jumborg ace, uh, hopefully, and try to review that. But as far, but as far as that goes and with me as well, I don't think that's, uh, probably going to be a low probability but i will try my best to do that
0: yeah uh one of the things i may try to do too and little did jason know that during the course of this recording i actually pre-ordered ultraman orb and ultraman Geed. good Um, (laughs) you need you need to see some of the newer stuff Uh, What I might try to do uh, is at least watch the movies for each one. I'm not going to be able to make it through the series of either one. I don't have the time, but uh, maybe at least watch the movies for each of those and then come back and talk about those. Well, Um, I know I haven't seen the movies for both of those. I've only just seen the TV shows, but um, yeah. um, But yeah, I mean, uh, the way it sounds like we're going to just try to Uh, You know, just watch a bunch of stuff and consume a bunch of stuff and come back and just kind of give our thoughts on certain things. Um, I'm trying to think. And then, um, of course, we usually do our award,
1: like our little award ceremony thing of like the best movie of the year or best score. Good production. According to our. Gonna take your word for it. According to our opinions, at least, because like. In our uh, episode, like our final extravaganza episode from last year, our best movie of the year for that year was uh, *Rampage*. Uh, for those, that's you, right. I
0: forgot we had done that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we should probably try to come up with uh, certain categories for our little award ceremony thing
0: uh, here, uh, but. Yeah, that's sort of the thing that we to this use now got the productions if Geed's your favorite series. I'm uh, I'm going to hold your feet to the fire on that. I'm going to make I sure Geed I up. would I would agree
1: with him. It is a pretty good uh Ultraman series. But um as far as my personal favorite, according probably to say the more recent newer Ultraman uh shows, for me I probably would have to say oh gosh so many good ones from the new ones I probably would have to say the Mabius Ultraman Mabius was probably one of the good ones Uh, I would say with that one story wise it was a really good one yeah I probably would have to say Ultraman Mabius is Probably one of the better, my favorite newer Ultraman shows by far.
0: Yeah, I'm a little hesitant just because I've seen some of these at G fest in the hotel room uh over the years, and and it's like I don't hate them. It's just not my cup of tea. Like I love the original Ultraman because it kind of it reminds me an awful lot of like the Showa Godzilla era, which is my favorite era. There's just something about the goofiness and the craziness of some of the stories and the monsters and the action that gradually over time, like we saw with Godzilla and even to some extent Gamera and like what I've seen a little bit of with a few new Ultraman stuff I've seen. um, You know, I, 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 um Uh, There's just something about the older stuff that it's just like, we're just going to throw everything at the wall and it's all going to stick. We're all going to make it work. I just, I like the older stuff more. Like it has that certain charm to it. There's just a charm to it that, in my opinion, I think is absent from a lot of newer stuff. Now, granted, I think my opinion is changing an awful lot on the Heisei. That's not to say I never thought some of it didn't have charm before. It's just that... I think a lot of newer stuff, because it's so new, you don't have quite the nostalgia to it yet, because obviously it's brand new. You don't have as much of a history with it yet. But over time, as the years go by and you watch the stuff more then you develop a history, then I think that's kind of when the charm Comes about. Uh, it's just kind of like with us. Like when we first became fans, you know, we loved the movies that we first saw, and we didn't really think too much about it. But then, as the years go by, we're like, yeah, like I really like King Kong versus Godzilla because that was like the fourth or fifth Godzilla movie I saw. Like, well, it's, then you
1: know, that sort of thing. But, and then I was the one that introduced you to Gamma, but then it, like it took you a while too just to get into the whole uh, the Gamma bandwagon. As well. Yeah,
0: I had that I think sort I was,
1: of. I'm, I'm usually the one that sort of branches out a bit more and gets into a lot of these things. And then um it, it's, it seems to take you a little bit to get yourself adjusted to some of these well, oddities.
0: Well, Godzilla Productions says, new monster from Ultraman, Taiga, Goro, Thunder, very much like an old monster. You really should check check them out. It's based off of one of the most of the... Most Taiga, that's the yeah. From the Showa um, era. I, I know, I need to check this stuff out. Yeah, Taiga is the one that's after RB. You that's tend cool. to branch out into things like manga and shows. I tend to branch out more in the movies. I do a little bit of shows. Because uh, I'm always introducing movies to you. You're always introducing manga and shows to me. Well... Um, like but so, some of uh, some of his movies too like Gamera that's well that's all yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah but that was like years ago that's because back then i was just like gamera's a cheap man's godzilla like you know darn <laughs> new gamera you know like i just had this sort of You know, I I just really was... I hate a gamer because I'm like, hey, you know, you're just a knockoff. Why are you in my life? Like, you know, that sort of thing. But my opinions on that have long since changed. But, um, yeah, like part of it for me when it comes to Ultraman outside of like the newer stuff, it's just harder for me to connect to a lot of it though, too, is just because there's so much Ultraman that it's just hard to keep up with. It's, it's and, a really expansive universe yeah, compared to there's Godzilla so and Gamera. Much of it. Like for me, I love the original twilight zone series, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's contained in five seasons. That's, and that's sure they made the eighties, but that's like a remake reboot sort of thing. And then they, are doing it again right now in CVSL all access, but they're their own things. They're contained in their own sort of universe, so to speak. So, like I can contend with that. That's not a big deal. But like Ultraman is just it's so big and it's so hard to keep up with. And yeah, it's and, a complete different monster. And I myself. don't have the time to do a crunchy roll sort of subscription to watch this. I don't have the time. It's hard enough for me to do some of this other I, stuff. I probably wouldn't even bother
1: with it with uh, was it Mill Creek Entertainment bringing out the entire Ultraman library. <laughs> rb was pretty bad
0: i never heard much about rb
1: yeah i'm i'm sort of surprised that uh or or verve whichever well it's by the same company that they didn't bring out uh right, because that, it was bad like that series because i mean because i mean they they started like doing it continuously with the ultraman x and then with orb and then gee but then they didn't Like renew with RB and then through Tyga, which is the most recent show. Mm. But yeah, I would at least like to see RB. Um, It would be nice. So I'm not entirely sure when they're going to be bringing that. I think they made an announcement uh, on Mill Creek, like on their little advertisement. I'm not entirely sure uh, when that they were going to do it if they announced they were going to be releasing to RB.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just... I mean, I still bought, like, a couple of Ultraman movies from two, maybe three G-Fests ago that I haven't watched, and I still have, um, like, uh, some of the TV series, like Ultraman 80, Ultraman Ace, and all that that i bought over the last two to three years that I have not really gone through yet yeah. either. Yeah, because I know so. I...
1: Because uh, I know I bought uh, the... I used to have like the the Funimation like the early Funimation version of Ultraman Tiga, which is like the one that started off the like the whole current uh, Ultraman like the modern Ultraman nowadays. Uh, I only just had a, was it three of the four discs, and I remember and I th- I remember telling you that someone had was selling the fourth disc on like uh, eBay and Amazon, but they were asking for like a ridiculous amount for it. And I was like, that's just not even worth it. So like uh, just this past G-Fest where I just bought like, uh, like the ripped version of Ultraman Tiga so I can at least finish, finish off the entire series. Uh, so so I can at least try to review it, although I probably will have to rewatch it here and there just to give my overall take of Ultraman Tiga. And then, of course, you also gave me uh, Ultraman Taro, your uh, ripped copy version of that one, too. Uh, a few months ago. Is it's Tiga happened. the
0: first Heisei Ultraman? Jace, uh, yeah, Jason yeah. can't see the YouTube chat because he's uh, checking, was it a Twitch chat or whatever? Yeah. Um, so he can't see this, but yeah, he's saying Tiga's the first Heisei Ultraman.
1: Yeah, it is uh, It is the first uh, Ultraman in the Heisei and has since been con- continuing on from Tiga. I,
0: I hate nonstop. this delay. It's such a long delay. We're like, we're, our feed, at least on YouTube, is like two minutes behind. Like, and it, we keep going down a rabbit hole. You talk about a rabbit hole. We're talking about the final episode of uh, of the uh, <laughs> of the year. We keep going down these different rabbit holes. We talk about hotel reservations and now Ultraman. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I would love to uh, watch any sort of. Japanese TV show, the problem is is that this time of the year, I like to watch a lot of Christmas movies, so I don't think I'll do that. Same, be able to have same enough, here, yeah. I don't think I'll have enough time to go through anything. We'll see. Uh, time will tell. But what we'll do is we'll work out uh, some of the logistics. Um, I think one of the most important things is just figuring out a date, so we'll try to figure that out. Shut up, kids. Um, <laughs> we'll try to figure that out, and then... Um, And then we'll just kind of figure out, too, like as far as content, like I think the more we sit here and talk about this because we spent, gosh, like. 15, 20 minutes at least on this. Um, yeah, we're getting, we're, we're actually getting close to three. We don't know how to close this out show. A pop, that. If there's yeah, one thing you can give us a one star review on iTunes for, it's because we don't know how to close that podcast properly. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so I would, I would, I would at least
1: say uh, trying to end out ep, uh, our Episodes and stuff.
0: Uh, I just want to. El bring- Ray didn't do Godzilla a year <laughs> or two ago. No, I'm going off of Godzilla Productions uh, comment here. Yeah, because uh, it was a year or two ago El didn't do Godzilla for Christmas. They did Nightmare on Elm Street, which I thought was the weirdest thing, but they think uh, Nightmare on Elm Street is also a Christmas film series.
1: But uh, I would just at least like to try to close out this episode, uh, you know. With this, here, Uh, make sure to uh, subscribe to us on these uh, following podcast networks uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, or Google Podcasts, uh, iHeart, Radio, Spotify, and TuneIn as well. And then also follow us and subscribe to us on these following streaming networks, which is uh, YouTube, Twitch, DLive, and Periscope as well. And you can also like and subscribe to us on these following social networks uh, that you see here. And you can also find us over at networkcom where we also uh, archive our uh, uh, podcast episodes, both uh, video and audio forms uh, as well. So there you go.
0: Yes. And please uh, review us. Uh, five stars would be nice. <laughs> um, or thumbs but, up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then please, uh, you know, if you can tell your friends uh, about us too. Uh, I would assume fans. if you tell your friends about us that you like us. Uh, otherwise, you probably would be like, no, F those guys. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's kind of what helps our podcast grow and and, and all that fun stuff, too, because we would like to. Um... One of the ideas, though, just a quick idea, and I don't think we're going to do this, but this is sort of, I'm sort of mildly joking about it. But I think it would be fun for us to do at some point. I always thought one of the things we could do uh <laughs> Oh, You're going to like this. You're going to like this. Oh, I like always colors. thought... And this is a idea I've had over the last like few days. I thought it would be a great idea if we marathoned the anime trilogy and did it live on YouTube. Well, did, that- did, we, did we do commentary on... No, we didn't Uh, do commentary on any of them. Not the anime ones. Okay. Because remember, we just got those. And the only ones we've done commentary on since G-Fest have been the MonsterVerse films. If we do do
1: this, I probably would say maybe wait until January, like the beginning of the year.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because let's see, the first film is like an... Hour and a half, I think. Second film is an hour and forty minutes. Last one's I think an hour and a half. So you have three and a half. You have like four and a half, five hours. Oh
1: god, roughly that, that would be like our longest episode ever.
0: <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> we'll have, we'll have. Yeah, to yeah oh, thank you, Godzilla Productions. There. Yeah, that would greatly help us out to, uh, if you could spread the word you know share posts or anything from like our facebook page or other social networks that yes please do yeah i really mean, appreciate it part of it's our fault we don't do a whole lot to advertise like we don't spend enough oh fuck. Uh, um we don't <laughs> spend enough money like you know really advertising our pages and stuff like that but um part of it is just because we are afraid that if we advertise too much, people are going to expect a lot more. And because like we've said before, many times, you know, uh, on this podcast, I'm really busy raising two young kids and Jason's busy with work and he's wanting to do some, um, other things too. But, um, Yeah, I just I would like for us to do more. It's just um, and and two we it just isn't going to work out right now.
1: And two, we sort of consider this thing as our our hobby most of the time. Yeah, but so um, that's sort of the reason why we didn't we haven't really done too much with it. And then two, we also said that we try to prevent this as being our job uh like being like our full-time full-on time job
0: (laughs) but yeah um one of the things i thought about doing too is doing more writing on our website um i haven't i think the last time i did that was earlier in the year when i did a review on the godzilla figure that's also
1: one of the things that uh we've been lacking in too is that we haven't really done much with our website except for me adding uh pages just dedicated to like describing a little bit about our episodes and that's essentially about it. I know I've, I have some screenshots and stuff ready to do like a uh, review. Yeah. Um, A review on the, like the Godzilla uh, defense force uh, mobile app game. I've been wanting to do a review on that for a while now and just haven't really gotten around to it. As of yet, but yeah,
0: Yeah. I need to go through and I need to figure out what movies I've already reviewed. I'm going to try to do some more reviews and I'm going to just going to try to do some general posts as far as just thoughts on various movies or shows or whatever. Um, but yeah, I'll try to do some of that. Um, would I do a reaction to a Godzilla versus Kong trailer? Well, honestly, I'm probably asking three years too early, but still, um, I don't know if we'll do that. We haven't done anything like that in the past. I know we've um, reacted or made we our usually response do it, like, on the trailers. Next... Well, what we've done in the past is we'll post something usually on our Facebook page and just say, oh, hey, check this out. Um, but typically we don't talk about that until the next podcast episode. That's just kind of how we've done it. Um, yeah again trying to get Jason and I together because there's actually quite a bit of work that just goes into trying to do a live stream for something like this um and just the fact that we're busy doing our own thing it's just it's not that easy getting us together like spontaneously mhm um, but yeah i don't think that'll happen we'll probably react to it whenever the next episode happens um cuz i what's a feeling cuz i have a feeling with uh,
1: the way things are going with Godzilla vs. um and with the trailer having uh, for some reason hasn't come out yet. Um, I'm almost thinking that they're trying to wait between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas time for the trailer to come out. Cause then that's when a lot of people are at home celebrating with family and a lot of the eyeballs are on the TV. Cause you know, with Thanksgiving, you got football and everything, the Thanksgiving parade. And then, uh, with Christmas, you know, you got your family, you're celebrating with family. Uh, you're at home watching maybe like some Christmas specials on TV or the Christmas parade. (sighs) Everything, So I'm guessing they're going to be waiting until around that time of the year and then release the trailer. So then they can at least get some eyeballs and some attention uh, to the film itself. Yeah. And then also, uh, like I was watching a YouTuber. Yes, I know <laughs> that uh, like Avengers Endgame, it didn't start marketing and everything four months before the movie came out. So. I'm probably guessing they were trying to do something like that.
0: Yeah. Well, anyways... Thank you uh, to Godzilla Productions for listening in on us and, and joining the conversation. It's been great. I always enjoy having you here. Uh, a reminder to everybody, too, you can join us on our YouTube uh, feed and other feeds that we have set up. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to us uh, on the various um, you know podcasts hosts that we are connected to. Visit us at hygienenetwork.com and we will keep you posted as far as uh, what we're going to do next month for our final episode of the year,
1: yes. So just uh, stick around, and we'll uh, let you know when that time will be uh, next month. So, All right. thank you. Take care, everyone. <laughs>